I'm still kicking. I must be on Broadway. podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins, and this week we're traveling back in time, then forward in time, and then doing some other shenanigans with time, because it's a double feature of Nacho Vigalondo's Time Crimes and Peter Hyam's Time Cop. Oh yeah! Um, It's all about the splits and the creepy bandages, Um, and here to try and make sense of the comings and goings of the many comings and goings of the, of these movies is the host of the incredible The New World podcast. It's Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good, Lindsay. I am so thrilled to be back. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh no, you've mentioned a couple of doubles that uh, I was like, well, we have to do that eventually. We have to do them at some point. One of them was this double, and another one I think involved Dolph Lundgren, if I can remember. But I remember getting yes. very excited yes. about mm-hmm. that one. So yes, um, uh, I believe I come in peace. I think in another one. Yes. Um, I think, right? Yes. Wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'll have a look and see if I can remember it. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> when you sort of, but when you mentioned um, Time Crimes and Time Cop, I was like, oh, well, we have to do that one. That one's perfect. I mean, you cannot get more <laughs> perfectly constructed and then so dumb, I'm just giggling at the screen going, can this be movie be three hours? Um, <laughs> kind of double. So, yes, thank you for suggesting it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome. I, you know, I, it, it 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 just you know it's such a it's it's so funny to see on paper but then also in you know when you see watch them both you're like this is two different takes on uh, on time travel and uh it's pretty great it's they're pretty great films i'm not gonna lie yeah i'm very time, excited for this time travel is actually a very surprising considering it's one thing it's a very multi-layered different genre different everything kind of um genres you know i was really excited to get um stuck into it um but before we do how is new world going the new world pictures podcast is going pretty great we um gosh we we uh we're interviewing a lot of people this year that's something that was really picked up and we've interviewed um you know we have we talked to some of uh tony randall uh and peter atkins from hellraiser 2 earlier this year and of course tony randall had a long career with new world pictures so we talked to that was like a double episode and then we did several interviews Hmm. with alan holzman who had had a very long story career at new world pictures we just had a a new interview come out with mitchell gallon who is a producer of creep show 2 which Mm -hmm. is erica's running still her favorite um new world pictures movie so that was a real treat and uh we've got more great interviews you know it just they just keep uh, it's all coming together in terms of getting people on the show which is great because not only are we watching and reviewing all the movies released by new world pictures but we also are now talking to people behind the scenes 
And then we also do bonus episodes in between that are not just interviews. We're also debuting some sort of sub shows as mm. well that we'll be debuting in the, in the coming months. Uh, so a couple of different things. So we'll just we're just going to continue to have a lot of fun with our bonus episodes in between that try to, you know, help us talk about some more modern movies as well as like other movies and maybe movies around the periphery of New World Pictures and other places. So it's it's been a lot of fun. We're still experimenting and having a good time almost three years in. So uh, you can't ask for anything more than that. No, because it feels like you're sort of just starting, you're really ramping up. I mean, there's a lot, the fact that you are getting the creators of these movies that are coming in to sort of talk about it is really great because you're actually reviewing them. You're a really funny podcast. And then all of a sudden you're actually getting these very kind of heartfelt <laughs> things about it. So I'm just like going, oh yeah, it's just, it's just, it's going from strength to strength. It feels like. So um, I'm always happy to listen to the next interview or the next episode and, Talking about the horniness of um, Avalanche, which I'm like going, yeah, that that movie is really horny, isn't it? It is so horny. That is one of the horniest ski lodges you'll ever be to. That's, it probably beats Hot Dog the Movie and some of the other ski lodge movies. I was going to say. <laughs> and it's middle-aged horniness, which is just even yeah. I love. Yeah. Which is, you know, an unusual and not often discussed Yes. Uh, you know, element of these films. But yeah, like, you know, when we did an interview with Alan Holzman and, you know, he's got a new book about Battle Beyond the Stars, we then did Battle Beyond the Stars, an episode. And he wrote me, I mean, just to take you behind the curtain, he wrote me and he was like, that was so funny. What a funny episode. And I was like, you know, shared it, of course, with my co-host, Mark mm. and Erica, uh, my brother and my wife. Mm. And uh, we were just like, how are these people talking to us and also loving what we're doing, which is so great because, uh, you know, you, you, I don't think we I don't think we uh, don't lovingly talk about these movies or even poke fun at them. But um, but, you know, some people could get, you know, kind of like what the hell do they think they're doing talking about these movies in the way that we do sometimes. Yes. Um, you know, and we try to be very respectful always. But, you know, some people may not have a good sense of humor about it. But Alan was great. And it's like, wow, this is you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing to get that kind of feedback. So thank you also for what you said. Very kind of you. And uh, we're excited. We may be having you on the podcast soon yes that's very exciting as well no i'm very excited when you asked because i was like going oh yes new world um and then went through the list of movies and went i forgot that they made all these all these movies um in particular a childhood favorite which can't actually kind of a childhood favorite um one that i used to watch as a kid then completely forgot about watched it and went wait I've seen this. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, and when I told uh, Mark that this was the one that you chose, he just hung his head and shook it and went, shit. <laughs> Which I can understand. So uh, I cannot, that makes me even more excited for your episode. Can't wait to talk about that movie with you. It's going to be terrific. And yeah, and I'm like going, yeah, that that's the... Um... That is the the reaction I, I can kind of expect from that movie. Um... <laughs> I mean, the podcast was his idea, so ultimately he has himself to blame. But... Exactly, he's the one who would do New World. The, the, these movies are going to come up. <laughs> and that's the thing: like, if you can't approach some of these movies with a sense of humor, as we do, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Because you are uh... really going to be in trouble. <laughs> I'm not saying New World Pictures didn't uh, release Academy Award winners. They did. They actually put out some movies that won mm. Academy Awards. But, you know, the majority of them are not uh, 
Academy Award winners. So no. you, gotta, you know, you gotta have a sense of humor about it. Exactly. What was the um movie that you did with Dirk? Uh Pinocchio and the Yeah, the Great Land of Small. I Great Land of Small. Um that was I had never heard of that movie. And I was sort of just listening to it going that is the most Dirk movie I've ever heard of. And of oh, course, yes. he would find that in the New World catalog. <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, it's so amazing when we have guests, we always have them pick the movie. Mm. And some, and, and like Dirk, he came back with one that I was like, I cannot, I cannot even believe that that's a movie they put out. Mm. And I went to check um, the Wikipedia page where they have sort of a limited filmography mm. of New World Pictures. And there it was. And I was like, I thought he had pulled some super obscure one. And I was like, this thing has been staring me in the face for two years. And I've never taken note of this title. <laughs> I, ne- I had no idea that it existed. And and now it's burned in my brain. Now mm. it is, it's a uh, nightmare fuel. So <laughs> much like the episode you did on the Pinocchio one, I was getting those two ones confused, um, yes. which was Pinocchio a and the Emperor of the Night. Yes, um, or Pinocchio Showgirls, because I remember I oh, rented that yeah. multiple times because I kept thinking it was Pinocchio. I was a kid. I yes. didn't understand the Disney vault. And then you're talking about it. I'm like, going, I think I've seen, I have seen this movie. I, oh. n- yeah, this is bringing back a whole bunch of kinder trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie and it was released at Christmas. That was what we did last year for our Christmas movie. I think, yeah. It was a filmation is the one, is the studio that put that together. New World mm. released it and they released it on Christmas because I guess they thought people for Christmas, kids want to watch Pinocchio go to a strip show. Yes. So that's what, <laughs> that's what they want to see. <laughs> oh, bless New World. Uh, some of the decisions, as you said, have they, re- I mean, they released Heathers, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, as you said, Academy Award winning movies. And then it was Pinocchio and Land of Small. Um, the breadth of their catalog is insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, unreal. And what's funny is we have been interviewed uh, on a couple of different shows that have Canadian hosts and mm. they all, and I even put it out there on my personal Facebook. Has anyone ever seen this movie, the great land of small, because I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And my, the only person that responded were, were people, uh, were people that were from Canada. And that is a well-known series. Cause it was a series of kids films that released in Canada. Oh, wow. And that's how new world released it. They released it on video. I think I actually released it on video here in the States, but it was from Canada. So, but it is just, it did not, uh, it, it did not, no one else knew it, but Canadians know that movie. It's so, kind of weird, how, yeah, how some, there's just some movies that just stick to a region because that's the one that was either they rented or just was on the TV 24-7. It's, it can be a bizarre phenomenon. Yeah. And mm. so, and so Canadians and Dirk know that movie. <laughs> that, why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> 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 um we love you Dirk. um of vhus by the way um, <laughs> um with that we might as well get into another bizarre movie that the first time i saw mm-hmm. i think i scared the snot out of me especially the first 20 minutes um yeah. as we will get into and that is of course time crimes um ryan if you're going to choose as i like to imagine we're in a theater curtains are opening um because this is a perfect retro theater um <laughs> in my imagination um if you show your first trailer for Time Crimes, what would it be? Okay, so for my first trailer, I did, you know, going back to watch this movie, which I had not seen in a long time, mm. it really sent me down a deep dive of, of time travel movies. Both of these did, really. Mm. 
And so for my first trailer, this is one that I had not seen before, but I saw it and I was looking for like the weirdest uh, time travel movies, <laughs> not just specific time travel movies, but really weird ones. Yeah. So my first one is going to be Predestination from 2014. By the time you listen to this, seven years will have passed. Here you are at the beginning of your new life. It can be overwhelming knowing the future. So what, you're a cop? I'm a temporal agent. We prevent crime before it takes place. What is it? It's a time machine. Don't ever exceed the jump limit. It can be problematic. If you ever want to stop the fizzle bomber, you'll never get another chance. Time that catches up with us all. Yes, I have this on my, this is one of my, I've got backups, but I was definitely thinking of this one. <laughs> yes, uh, directed by the Spirig Brothers, right? And Yes, um, yes, yes it is. And it's based on a short story by Robert Heinlein, uh, and Ethan Hawke plays this time travel agent who's trying to prevent this attack by a terrorist called the Fizzle Bomber. Mm -hmm. uh, which sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but it's treated very seriously in the film and it doesn't sound silly in the film, but no, this whole, if you would, I don't want to sort of outline the plot because there's a couple of big spoilers in there and it's still relatively new. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend definitely seeing this movie, but if you were just telling someone the plot of this movie, it would sound so ridiculous, but the way the Spurrig brothers kind of film it and treat it and Ethan Hawke's and Sarah Sook's performance, it's really serious and you take, and it's, but you take it very seriously. I mean, this is such a well done, um, dark little time travel movie. It's a fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, it's, I really like the Spirit Brothers. I think they're incredibly ambitious for what they try to do. Mm. And this, this movie, like, it's just a very strange time travel film. It's a lot of time travel sort of folding in on top of itself. And if I have told you that a movie would like start and then um, with a really interesting premise and then immediately stop because a character had to tell a backstory and they went with that for almost the entire second act. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it's still an enjoyable movie. You'd be like, really? Are you sure? Because it's it's kind of a very odd construction, but it all pays off and it, it's necessary to do it. But it's a really interesting movie. Great performance from Ethan Hawke and, of course, Sarah Snook, who's terrific in it. Hmm. Noah Taylor pops in there. Oh, um, he does. Yes. Mm. And uh, tries tries his uh, I'm so used to his na natural accent. So watching him try to use an American accent was a little weird, but um, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. looks Noah Taylor looks so Australian that when he doesn't use the Australian accent, I'm like, but w w what's going on? <laughs> what are you trying to fool, buddy? <laughs> what are you trying to fool? You're, you're, you're the most Australian person I've ever seen. It's like, um, yeah. uh, even yeah. Ben Mendelsohn, who looks Australian, he does an American accent. I'm like, yeah, I buy it. No, he, um, yeah, he does it very well. He, very, uh, very well. Noah Taylor, very good actor, not a good American accent. Not the best American accent, no, not. But it's a wild movie and... <laughs> I also really like their movie Daybreakers from the Spirit Brothers. Which I is like a really still need to see that, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, it's an in interesting vampire movie. Like I'm, not, I don't think it's like it's not the best vampire movie, but it's certainly interesting. It blends a lot of sci-fi elements. It's, it's it, it, like they just they de they definitely try interesting things. They're not trying to make the same kind of movie. This is not your typical time travel movie, uh, Predestination, and Daybreakers is not your typical. A vampire film and that came out at a time too, daybreakers when it was like 
Underworld was like the vampire movie of the time. So it was definitely like when I saw it, I was like, wow, well, this is at least not your typical vampire movie because everybody was blending, you know, a vampire movie, I guess, with The Matrix or whatever. Everybody was still sort of on that kick, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, good point. Um, I also, it's not the best ghost story of the world, but their movie Winchester is really interesting, at least, even though that's got some really shocking American accents in it as well, um, <laughs> which is based on the widow of the uh, actual maker of the Winchester gun and her, and it's kind of like a house that mm. almost folds in. So again, interesting, not uh, not my favorite, but um, still, yeah, they make interesting, interesting movies. Yeah, yeah, they're really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what else they're, they're up to because I really like those guys. So. Yeah, me too. Um, and the, and yeah, Predestination is a really good trailer for what we're going to be getting into with Time Crimes. Um, <laughs> speaking of interesting directors, uh, my next trailer is actually going to be another um, Nancho, uh, Nancho movie. Blah. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I'm going for Colossal. Oh, I think it was from okay. 2016. The unprecedented nature of this phenomenon. Look at that tangle. You know you're watching something that's going to change the course of history. You all right? Yeah. Uh, it's this nervous tick I have. I get this itch. Oh, my God. Thing appeared. Same place. Exact same place. But it just made a bunch of weird hand gestures. Show you guys something. It's dancing. It's dancing like. <laughs> Holy shit. Ow! What was that? What was that? A helicopter. With the, with like the pilot and everything? Which is a really interesting movie. It is essentially Anne Hathaway, who may or may not be a recovering alcoholic, she's messy to say the least, um, has to go back home to a childhood home and then, which coincidentally, there is a giant kaiju monster attacking Seoul every few days. And it's related back to her and a particular relationship that she has. It's, again, just a really imaginative movie. The performances are great, especially this is kind of the one that went, oh, maybe I do like Anne Hathaway. Um, <laughs> when I'm, was, I guess, was on the bandwagon of her being too theater kid. And then she does this movie. I'm like, going, oh, no, no, she's, she, there's something there. And Jason Sudeikis also has a really amazing performance. And it's not okay. something you'd expect from him either. Um, no, it's got Tim Blake Nelson in it. It's got a really strong cast. It's, again, tiny movie. Dan but Stevens. Just, yeah, Dan Stevens with those blue eyes just looking at you. Um, no, it's, <laughs> it's a really, really strong movie. And it just kind of, when you're just looking at his... Uh, nachos movies you're just like going wow that you just keep making movies i never thought the premises of what you were doing would work and what you're trying to say about it and all that kind of thing it's it's a really good movie yeah that's great i have not seen this movie so mm. i would in fact i gotta admit i have not seen any other nacho vigolando movie oh this the is only the only one i've seen is time crimes it's time crimes and colossal the only two i can't sort of say i've seen uh, the one with um uh the hobbit God, I'm blanking yes, on his name. Uh, um, Elijah Wood. Open Elijah Wood. Wood. Open Windows. I haven't seen that one yet, but I need to because it's, even if I don't love it, it's going to be a movie that's going to make me go, huh. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, when I saw first saw Time Crimes, I was basically like telling everyone, you got to see Time mm. Crimes. It's the best. And I don't know what happened. I've seen like, I've seen like this, you know, what he did in um, ABCs of Death, like his mm. se segment in that. And, but for some reason, like I did not 
continue to watch the other movies he's made. And I think we almost watched Puka at one point, which is a series like on Hulu where they sort of do like, you know, horror films that are like around uh, a holiday. Oh, yeah. And uh, which is done through Blumhouse. And I, but I just haven't seen his other movies and I'm kind of like seeing it again. I'm like, why haven't, what am I doing? Why haven't I not been watching this guy? I was like singing this guy's praises and then watched none of his other movies. Like a super fan, I guess. Me too. Same thing happened with Time Crime. And I watched Colossal not reali- realizing it was Nacho. So it was kind of, I did the same thing. It's, huh. I don't know whether because he was a Spanish director and even though he's made a lot of movies and which I watch a lot of, um second uh not uh english movies anyway but i don't know it was just this kind of thing of like i should be following this guy's career because he's got some real metal to his stuff but no if you get a chance colossal is actually really interesting no it it did look in just the poster even looks yeah. really interesting and if he is continuing to do make these weird premises work mm. like he does in time crimes i'm like yeah fantastic i can't wait to dive into more of his stuff yeah no it's it's really really strong um what is going to be your second trailer for time crimes my second trailer is not about time travel, mm. but it is about a guy who just wants to get his life back to normal. And I'm talking Dark Man from 1990. Somewhere in the city, a brilliant scientist is on the verge of an amazing discovery. The cells, they're holding. They're stable. Finally, we can replace damaged skin tissue. Then. No foolish heroics, if you please. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now. Crime has a new enemy. And justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. Oh, that is perfect. (laughs) Uh... Clearly, Nacho saw this movie yes. <laughs> in 1990 because the design of the creature, if you will, mm. the the person in Time Crimes is directly taken from Darkman. I mean, it has to be. It has. Yeah. I didn't even put those two things together, but yeah, you're right. And it's all about literally a guy trying to get back to normal, which is Darkman. Um, yep. And yep. It involves weird science. It, yeah, this is it. This is, I'm so annoyed I didn't think of this. This is perfect. <laughs> you know what? I was nervous that you would think of it. And so I had a backup because I was like, she, she'll probably say Dark Man. I know, I know Lindsay. She'll, she'll have this already. <laughs> Considering out. how much I love Dark Man, I'm a little annoyed at myself. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I have been a fan of that mark and I saw that in the movie theater. Oh. And I just adore this series. Uh, I love Darkman. It's all just three great. movies are pretty entertaining. I'll, I'll pretty say. weird. I have not yeah. seen the third one, which I've mm. heard is actually really good. And so I'm like, okay, I, I was even looking this morning. I'm like, I got to get the, these other two and rewatch the second and, and see the third one because I've not seen those. But I just Darkman. I just rewatched Darkman. I think last year or the year before, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is like one of the best. This is just one of the best movies ever. I love it. I, you know, I, bad effects and all. I don't care. It, I just it, adore it. It really is. It's just this got. It's got that Raimi energy where it just doesn't stop, um, stop moving. And yeah, even if the kind of the weaker elements you just don't notice because you're already going on to the next thing. And yeah, some of those effects are terrible. 
but it is 1990. <laughs> yep. um, and they didn't give yep. Raimi the, the Batman budget for this. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> though that is such a weird period. It's kind of like, even though I don't think Darkman was a... Uh, it might have... Uh, I don't know if they got the green light because of Batman, but the fact that they saw Batman in 1998 and went... Radio, uh, radio serial heroes. That's what the kids want, um, which I loved. When I was a kid, I was in heaven. Give me the Phantom. Give me the Shadow. Give me Dark Man. But sure, um, sure. But yeah, weird, that weird was time. our MCU back then. You it know, really was. Much, you know, <laughs> we had like Albert Pion's Captain America. Yes, we know, did. Uh, we had like a few TV movies where they brought back the Incredible Hulk on TV, which actually was done through New World Television. Mm. Um, so they did a couple Incredible Hulk movies where they would bring up Daredevil and Thor just on cheap TV versions. Uh, but like that was like there wasn't anything going on. And then like the hanging of Canon Group at some point, maybe making a Spider-Man movie, which they never ended up making. That was essentially me just sitting there going, make one, make one. And of course, New World uh, Pictures then put out The Punisher, um, which was right at the tail end of their existence. Yes. Uh, which got which got put out here in the States like a couple years after it was released overseas, just on VHS. I think we only I, got the VHS of the, that Punisher as well. So I don't even think we even got Quest for Peace. Actually, we might have gotten Quest for Peace at the cinema. It's something I don't remember, but I do remember the video, and I'm trying to remember if... Because sometimes New Zealand would just get the VHS was only just arrived, and you're like, what's that movie? <laughs> Yeah, I, and I I rented Punisher the first chance I could get, and then I was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> and, and still kept renting it because it was like, this is all I got, this is yeah. all I have. I only have a couple of these movies. Yeah, you don't know what it was like. Yeah, you, you don't know what it was like back in the day. It was just yeah, a, kids. my yeah. kids, no clue. They have yeah. a whole connected universe to watch again and again and again, and I was just like, I don't know, throwing in. Captain America, The Punisher, you know, Phantom, you know, those kinds of movies just going, this is what I got. This is what I got. This is what I had to work with. This, this is superheroes. it. And Darkman yeah. was like, okay, this is brand new, an original superhero, Liam Neeson, um, you know, before he, you know, showing off an, another special set of skills. Yes. Frankly. Yes. The, the man has a very many set of skills, except for he does not just have one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and I just, I just love this movie. Uh, Francis McDormand, yeah. you know, uh, just, just a great cast. Uh, uh, and one of the best, uh, you know, action villains, uh, comic book villains of all time. Yeah. Darkman as well. Yeah. Um, and, it, and Durant. Durant. Oh my God. The fact that they bring him back is the best. Um... <laughs> and, and, and crazy, but yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, they were like, I understand when they, when they decided to make another movie, they were like, well, we've got to bring him back. Cause he's like, it was so crazy good. I mean, he yes. is one of the other elements of that movie that you walk away remembering at the time, Larry Drake was on Ellie law. Yes. And, he so it was such a weird thing to see him that and like Doctor Giggles. Yeah, just I was just like, a... <laughs> <laughs> especially the role he played on LA Law. Um, yes, which was such a like kind and you know gentle soul. And then you're seeing yes. him in Doctor Giggles and Dark Man. You're like, what the? <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's just it's got a, such an amazing Universal monster feel to it as well as well being kind of 1950s comic book um, yes. mad scientist. All that kind of thing. It's just a really good movie. You just, yeah, yeah. If this is, this is the kind of movie you just sit and watch and you just have a huge smile on your face. I mm -hmm. adore Dark Man. Yeah, um, that is absolutely perfect. Okay, I'm going to go back to time travel, and I am going to go for 
Source Code from 2011, directed by Duncan Jones. Where am I? You are inside the source code. What is the source code? It's a computer program, Captain. Source code enables you to cross over into another man's identity in the last eight minutes of his life. At 7.48 this morning, a bomb exploded on a train outside of Chicago, killing everyone on board. A man named Sean Fentress was on that train. He is now you. Think, Captain, remember back. Who bombed the train? I don't know who bombed the train! Then try again. Wait, no. I... So, what do you think? It's the same train, but it's different. We've been informed there'll be another attack in six hours. If you find the bomber, the next attack can be prevented. Concentrate on the passengers in your car. Look for ones who seem nervous. As always, you will have eight minutes. Eight minutes. Um, yes, yes. This is, um, yeah, because it was my two time travel movies were going to be this or Predestination, and it was this one. Um, haven't really, actually, no, he did Moon. I liked Moon. Um, yeah, this is just a really kind of great time loop, time travel, trying to change the present to change the future because, yeah, I don't know, there's a lot going on in just one simple premise of Jake Gyllenhaal on a train trying to stop a bomb over and over and over again. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I had this one uh, picked as an alternate as well for our next movie, mm. and but I really like the uh, idea of it, and it's got an incredible cast as well. Oh, yeah, um, Michelle Monaghan, and I can't remember who else, but yeah, it's a Vera, really good Vera movie. Yeah. yeah, and Jeffrey Wright as well. And like just the, I love the element, the, the time element of him being able to jump into this other guy's body, but only for a limited amount of time. So, yes. Uh, that sort of really gives it like an urgency and, uh, you know, but yeah, another like, let's change the, the future mm. uh, kind of film. Yeah, it's a good one. I really like Source Code a lot. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, and I did want to rewatch it, but I didn't get a chance to. And uh, But I remember it just being one of those really solid, you're like, huh, that was way better than I expected it would be kind of movies. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, mm. real surprising, you know, film. Mm. Uh, you know, just just a really solid thriller, you know? Yeah. Um, it just, there's something about that, too, that's just like, you know, you just getting solid movies, like you know, is something that I'm so treasuring now because I feel like we get so many, we just get more event movies nowadays oh. and just getting people that are getting solid movies. Like Source Code is a solid movie. It Good is a watch. solid movie. Could we either get big event movies or we get tiny, tiny little ones? Right. We don't get, I right. keep I keep talking about how I want the mid-sized movie back. Um, even right. on Netflix, right. I don't think, or streaming, they don't make enough of them. Um, and yeah, yeah and I, if they do, their 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 whole Netflix's whole model is like inundating you with stuff. Yes, that's their model. Yes. So like people are clowning on them because they're like the stock dropped and everything, but it's like their whole business model is just continuing to give you so much stuff. Yes, and it's like you you don't even know where to find to look. It all, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And a lot of um, so yeah, because it's either this legacy big event kind of thing, or you cannot find it, and it's mid thing. But just to have these really solid just good movies like this or the town or uh, i don't know i'm kind of missing them because they're either esoteric really amazing indies which i love yes i will uh, i'm not i will bash on an a24 movie but the stuff they're putting out this year i'm actually kind of loving um or you get the big event marvel and yeah i just want to mm -hmm. can we just have more movies like source code just and predestination dark yeah, man just exactly. just really right. solid kind of movies like that 
Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping when people get more regularly back into theaters, mm. we're going to get more of that. I saw a lot of people being sort of, you know, unhappy that Ambulance didn't do better because that's yeah. a $40 million movie. Um, but, you know, we had um, what Malignant, which was like a $45 million movie, which did very well, which is a lot for a horror film. Yes. And that did, you know, pretty well. And, mm. But, you know, I think more people are going to like the bigger movies or family movies. Yes. They're going to go out to see a movie. I still think it's something that it's like maybe not for everywhere, but I still think it's a calculation to go to a movie. I know what it is for for me and my family. So, you know, you <clears throat> you want to go out and see everything, or at least I do. But you can only get out to see so much. Exactly. So, mm. You know, you you know, if um, Eric and I are now going to see movies that we want to see and we can't take our, our children to, like, we have to oftentimes just let the other one go. You yeah. Know? You go see it tonight when the kids are asleep and mm. I'll go see it tomorrow night. So it's 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 just harder to kind of see the, the movies. And so I think that's why Ambulance maybe didn't do as well. I don't know. Just 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 a thought. Yeah, it's probably one of the reasons why, because and I think Bay has a very uh, maybe because I think Bay burned a little bit of bridges with um, uh, some of the Transformers movies as well, yeah, um, and then you go and see sure. Ambulance, and you're like, that was actually really solid. <laughs> Again, it was yeah. a, a solid movie. Again, Jake Gyllenhaal being really great um, in it. <laughs> yeah, over the top. Oh my god, so over the top. It was oh, it was just the perfect a, pitch. It's <laughs> an odd. He has a terrible plan. I mean, <laughs> this isn't about Ambulance, but what a terrible plan. That was oh, it just is. great. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Me movie. too. Just, but you're right. That that is an absolutely terrible plan, and he keeps coming up with more terrible plans. It's just. Yeah. I mean, they run over his own guy's legs. I don't know. I'm just saying that's not going. There's not going well from the beginning in that in that movie. No, not going well. That plan does not go well. But no. um, but yes, great performance from him and great in source code. He's awesome in, in that. It's a great pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with uh, talking about solid movies, we're going to get into a really solid movie that actually. This is the third time I've seen it, so every single time I see it, I get something new out of it. Mm. And that is, of course, Time Crimes from Has viajado en el tiempo. When did you first see this movie? I de I think I we saw this. Um, Eric and I both saw this because I heard this was coming out, and I think we had moved to Los Angeles at that point, mm. and so at this point we it was on it was definitely on video. Yeah. So it was on our DVD or whatever. So like, you know, back back when Netflix probably sent us sent us DVDs in the mail when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mid naughty so, feels quite a long time away now. <laughs> when you think oh about God. that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to think that. Well, I mean, this is like, what, 13, 14 years ago now. Mm. So uh, or 15 years ago now. Yeah. That movie. So, wow. Just it's crazy. But yeah, uh, I, I, so I'm pretty sure we we saw it that way uh, on DVD, like after, you know, it was on home video or whatever. I don't remember how, if this got a huge uh, theatrical release in the United States, but I wasn't, I wasn't really living in the United States at the time mm. in 2007. So I don't know, but I don't know what release had. So anyway, when we mm. moved back 
uh, and moved to Los Angeles. That's when I saw this. How about yourself? Uh, this was, for, oh God, maybe six years ago. This was at a, a um, science fiction marathon at a restoration theater that I like. Um, it was part of the Melbourne Film Festival. Kind of, they were doing like a science fiction theme. So this theater was like, oh, we'll show five movies. Uh, um, and I really wanted to go see The Visitor for some which I adore, The Visitor, by the way. If you want to see a weird movie you will never understand, go see The Visitor. <laughs> um, and that's why I went. I was like, John Houston in the... What, what is this? Um, and it was a really amazing lineup. Um, but this was the first... This was the movie that kicked it off, and I had never heard of it. Like, I didn't know what this was, and to sort of sit down and then watch this thing unfold, especially the first 20 minutes when I remember getting really, really... Actually, this unnerved me and i was not expecting to be unnerved um because you it's, it's not exactly a horror movie but it definitely does have those horror, horror elements especially when you first meet um pink face and uh, who is in yeah. this movie because um, mm -hmm. you have no context for where, what he is where he's come from what he's doing what kind of threat and all you know is that he's around in these woods and you're like ah no don't, don't like him don't i don't like him at all um <laughs> <laughs> until you find out what who he really is um, even though I know this movie's from 2007, we will be spoiling it because there's no way we can talk about it um, without... There's literally no way. We no can way. Talk, we, talking around this movie is impossible. It is to, it's absolutely impossible. Like most time travel yeah. movies, in fact. Um, and... But it is such a simple... Like it starts so simply. It's yeah. such a wonderful... And just like you settle right into it. It's what I found like rewatching it. Like you just... It's just this guy and his wife and they're just, you know, got a new house and he's running out and grabbing things they need like a new ikea table and just it's just settles in and all of a sudden it just goes bonkers like yes right away it's like so yeah and i remember seeing the uh i think i got into it or saw it because of the commercial or the trailers for yeah it. and so i think i remember the trailer of you know the guy in bandages you know turning his head and cupping mm. his hands around his eyes and being like what is this movie mm. this movie seems wild you know um, and that's what kind of drew me in, uh, and sadly a bit of a spoiler, but I don't think it, it didn't spoil the movie for me because you don't know what context that scene is happening at all from the trailer. No. And it's kind of the perfect moment to show on a trailer because it is the first kind of shock moment. I got, holy yeah. shit, who the hell is that? Um, right. but at right. the same and the time, fact that, that person knows that you're looking at them. Yes. Like very visceral moment. And very, this very aggressive visceral moment. Mm -hmm. but because the movie is giving you absolutely no context to who this guy is, it's kind of a good moment to share in a trailer. Cause you're like going, cause when you first see him do that thing, you're like, no idea what, why, who this, even this thing is. You who, don't even know yeah, if it's, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Um, and that all is incredible. Cause I love this kind of time. I kind of, the whole thing that's fact that he's trying to get back to his wife and what he has to do to get back to his wife is kind of so darkly incredible. Um, but the whole idea, cause yeah, you're right. You literally just see this guy living with his wife. They're building Ikea. You can, you cannot get more d domestic than that. <laughs> Everyone who's been in a couple for a little while knows what it's like to put together furniture. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's just kind of what happens. Um, and so I will call bullshit on the fact that she's, you know, he, he, that they can't, she makes that table outside and then she's like, he says, you're never going to be able to get it in the house. And she's like, yeah, I can't get it in the house. Mm. I kind of call bullshit on that. You can get that. That table is not big. It's you not huge. Yeah. The, the, the doors aren't that. Yeah. Um, it's not, come on. 
I don't know what the the width of Spanish doors are, but they're not. It's not like they're so much thinner than ours that you couldn't get that thing through. Plus, it's a table. It has legs. You can ease it in at yeah. one side and then ease in the other. Like, it's, yes, it's not. Come on, you can. It's do not. That. It's not impossible. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, but I just love the fact that this is such a recognizable kind of thing, and then all of a sudden. Um, the main character Hector sitting in the backyard with his binoculars and then things start getting weird very, very quickly. Um, very quickly, yeah. Even this time and around, I'm like, little detail yeah. is important. Like, that's yes. the thing about rewatching it is, like, no detail is spared. Every detail is important, with the exception of the fact that when he drives up to his house, the back of his car is opened up and everything's fallen out. I love that. I was kind of wondering. <laughs> Every time I watch that movie, I'm like... Okay, so which Hector's doing this? <laughs> and then you just realize, no, he's just an idiot and he's just didn't close yeah. the door the, back, the so, book properly. He just didn't close it right, I guess? <laughs> yeah. why, did, what is, why did that happen? Yeah. Because every <laughs> yeah. single time I'm waiting to see another Hector in the background going, you're fucking with him, aren't you? Uh, nope, nope, that's, that's just him. <laughs> that's just him. That happens to only one of the Hectors. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah it's so so great and i love how every single detail is important every single detail matters because even that goddamn table is going to come back it's not yep it's yep. one of those great time travel movies where everything matters every little phrase every little bit every little um thing is going to matter in the long run in terms of how the story is constructed it is um not even just the table that she has to get and bring Mm -hmm. back but also the keys that he gives her and where she puts the keys later when she comes back like every piece of that is used Uh, you know the the conversation when he gets the weird phone call in the beginning doesn't think anything of it like Mm. all this stuff comes back and plays like everything every element of it it's it's really it's it's like so it's so deceptively simple because I think time travel movies are really difficult yes. for people to accomplish. And this seems so, like, simple. It makes you... F- I feel like a budding filmmakers is going to watch this and go, shit, I can make a movie about time travel. It's easy. And it's not. It's mm-hmm. so smartly constructed. But it seems so simple because it isn't really... Com- it doesn't complicate things. Nope. Uh, it gives you just little pieces of information that you need to just continue with the story and doesn't like overload you with stuff mm. or overload you with their lives and their situation. And all you know is that this is a lovely couple that loves each other. She's still, they're still very horny for one another yes. in their middle age mm-hmm. and which is wonderful. Mm. He's got a very nice life. I was like, this guy goes to the store. He spends a Saturday going to the store, gets her the things she needs. They get real horny and he takes a nap. Yes. You know? And then he wakes up and it's he's a pretty like, good day. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, let's look at birds with my binoculars. I'm like, this is a great Saturday. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> it really is. It's such a good um it is such a good um oh, sorry. Computer's being weird. Um no, it's such a great setup because you don't know anything about them. All you know is that um yeah, that they actually do care about each other. And yeah. from those few moments, even though when he gets to actually what he has to do to get back to her, you understand why he wants to. Because this, he has a really great life. I mean, yeah, nap, sex, and then bird watching. I mean, that's a pretty freaking good day. I mean, you can't yeah. really complain about that. Um, no, no, this is this is a good life. I this is it. a great life. I can completely understand it. And then I love the use of the binoculars in this movie. This is kind of way because. It, 
again, this movie is so simple, deceptively simple that you do kind of forget that this is a very specifically constructed, very complicated movie, like a lot of time travel movies. Um, but when he's looking through the binoculars, it's just kind of thing of the, the literally the camera is telling you, you're only seeing these little moments. We're not, you don't understand what these moments are. We will show you later on exactly what these are, but they've kind of got these little tunnel vision things. And mm -hmm. it is, um, it's really incredibly smart and incredibly creepy seeing a young naked girl that you don't know why, seeing a guy in pink bandages doing the whole turnaround with the binoculars thing of, oh, I see you. I know exactly what you're doing. Um, and yeah, and the fact that he goes to investigate, I'm like, what happened if you just sat there? Yeah. Would, would the other hectors have to come and get you or... Um, because I think there's a sort of interesting of random acts and fate that keeps going through this movie that's, mm -hmm. it, that is constantly just, well, I have to do this because I saw it, not because it makes any sense. And then it's just the way it builds on itself. But I love the use of the, the, the way the, the use of binoculars is so cool. Yeah, he, he, this movie wouldn't have gone anywhere if he would, could just sit still. Yes. For, even once he, once he's now Hector too. He will not sit still nope. and allow things to happen. He cannot stop himself from inserting himself into these situations. And it just totally, you know, and, and actually I think it's one of the more believable things. Like if I'm sitting in my backyard and I see off, I wouldn't ever probably, I wouldn't have a house with that much land and that much ability <laughs> like in the, the woods there. But anyway, if I'm sitting back in a backyard and I see some, you know, woman and they're, they're taking off their clothes and I'm, what is going on? I see this guy with a scary face. I'm like, mm. what? Or there's bandages on his face. I'm, you know, would I probably go check it out? Maybe, mm. you know, like, I think that that curiosity is very, you know, it's, it's understandable. And his just, he just continues to just not, <laughs> um, not want to just sit still. And, and I, and the other thing about it is in terms of a, a, a time travel movie that I love is that, once he realizes that he is he's traveled through time and there's another him, mm. his reaction isn't like, wow, that's me. Holy crap. His reaction is like, fuck that dude. Yes. I don't like that guy. Yes. That guy is with house. my wife in my house. Yeah. No, this is not, this will not stand. And poor, um, I can't remember the character's name. It's played by Nacho, um, yeah, just a scientist. by the way. He's just a scientist. He's uh, just a scientist going, yeah. Um, yeah, this has happened. I don't know what to tell you. Um, you probably best not do this. And he's like, no, 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 there's another guy in my house, but that's you. No, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating reaction to actually seeing yourself in a time kind of, if you go back to time and see yourself, it's a really fascinating reaction to your brain just instantly going, that's not me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's an imposter. And like, it's his, the way he plays it, the Kara Elahade, mm. Halde, I believe, mm. it, um, I murdered his name. But anyway, he, I think is great in this lead role. And he is that reactive. You're right. He's just reacting that first half of the movie. Yes. He's reacting to like, oh, this is the situation I'm in. Okay. Uh, now I'm through and I'm Hector two. And now I've got to set these, he's just sort of reacting. And then the second half of the movie is him being active. Yes. Going, okay, no, now I'm going to set forward a plan. Or I'm going to start and start making, uh, instead of playing out everything and reacting to what I've experienced and then re-experienced, now I'm going to push it forward instead of just being 
just a reactive participant. Now I'm going to start manipulating it and making it work for myself. Yes. And yet he does it without ever telling you what he's doing. He doesn't really ever mention his plan ever to anyone. Nope. He barely has much of a conversation with the scientist about what he's doing. Or even that poor girl in the woods who I feel really sorry for. The fact that she's just yes. kind of used as this pawn just for every step of the way. And once you realize, oh, she is being used um, completely. Um, it is um, so sad. The moment she comes up, I'm like, oh no, just bike away. You don't need to be. <laughs> she is, in fact, the time crime. She is, yes. She is the time crime. Um, <laughs> um, this it, is not me, but Erica said that uh, the real crime here is riding a bike. So that's, <laughs> what, she, <laughs> that's what she said while we were watching this. <laughs> that feels like a very Erica thing to say, yeah, <laughs> um, just in yeah, terms of what I've yeah. listened to her on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, the, 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 the Erica on the podcast is Erica in real life. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he keeps putting himself in a real pickle. I'm like, just do what the guy's telling you. Stop. Let time catch up with you. But he won't. He can't. No. Uh, yeah, but, and, yeah, but, yeah, which is why this movie kind of plays with the idea of fate versus just random acts. Um, mm -hmm. Even though he is copying these acts that he knows that have already kind of happened, like he's kind of figuring out, okay, so uh, I was in the forest here. I turn around this point. I, oh, wait, I'm bleeding, and I have a bandage around my arm. Pink guy. Okay, if I can turn myself into into, into the bandage guy, I know, and he yeah. keeps, yeah, it's this kind of fascinating thing, and you're just looking at, watching the screen going, what if you just left this alone? Would you, you'd yeah. probably still end up with your wife, because you're just letting time catch up with you, but because he's so aggravated about there's another Hector in his house, he has to keep bringing Hector out. I mean, you do see kind of time catch up at the end, but at the same time you're like, but there's other Hectors still. They're still going to Yeah. Keep... I'm not sure if that's a happy ending or not. not no. I don't know. I'm, you know, I just watched it again this morning and I'm like, I, I just don't know if it all works out for this guy. But I love that moment where he takes the bandages off his arm. Yeah. And puts it around his head. And... I feel like in, I hate to say it, in like an American movie or a different movie with like a different budget, mm. that movie, that that moment would be so much bigger. It Yes. The music and, would swell and it would be... Yeah, and maybe yeah. you'd cut to like a picture of the guy in the bandages to mm. be like, oh, he's realizing, you know what I mean? Yes. But the fact that he takes that moment, is unwrapping his arm, is wrapping it around his head and going, oh, but you don't, it's so it's so subtle to the point of you don't even know if he realizes it at that moment, you know? No, because all you're seeing is like blood drip from his head wound, and he's just watching the blood, and then he's looking the at blood his blood and the like milky water substance from the the time travel tank, like yes. fall on his on his car floor. Yes, I was wondering what that why the milky substance was. That's yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's just wrapped up in this moisture in the bandage. I would imagine. Yeah, because he, he yeah, and. It is just this kind of incredible moment. And when he's bandaging himself, you kind of start catching up with the movement. Oh, okay. And it happens really slowly. It's not like the big aha moment, as you're saying, as another movie would do. Just go, yeah. aha. Yeah. This is like a yeah. process of him watching, doing it. And then you're like, oh, shit, he's that guy. And then yep. the movie really starts kicking into another gear um, mm -hmm. in terms of 
now you've been given a piece of information. The movie's kind of staying the same pace, but because because you now have this specific piece of information you didn't have before, it feels like the movie's ramping up in your brain, but not the actual screen, if that makes sense. Yes, no, no, yeah. totally. Mm. Yeah, it's like we, we saw a certain piece of part of time of his life. Yes. You know, getting stabbed, running away from this guy, going mm. to a lab, getting mm. out of the tank, and now we're going to see it happen again. Yes. And then we're going to see it happen again. Yes. But with all the new things that he has done and reinforming each of those loops. Yeah. And in the second time, just the fact that you you had such a subtle, not a overplayed moment where he's wrapping his head and realizing, oh, I'm the sky. I got to replay all these things. Mm. And the girl comes up to the car and he knows, OK, I got to take this girl again. You don't know this really when you're watching it the first time. Mm. But in rewatching it, you're like, oh, he's going, OK, I got to take her here. I got to make sure she takes her clothes off here because that's when I saw before. I mean, he's and, and I love the scene where he's practicing turning around. Yes. Pretending he has these makeshift uh, Bin- binoculars. binoculars and messing up it, yeah. it, and not and not seeing it right and go, oh, OK, not here. OK, do I do it now? Oh, yeah. OK, it's not not right here when I do it. Oh, now I do it. And then he sees himself run. And I'm yeah. like, that is fascinating because you don't hear him. talk. He doesn't say a word. It's all done silently. Yeah, this this movie has a is not a dialogue heavy movie, which I love because a lot again, as much as I love time travel movies, and I live in a house sure. where my partner this is one of his favorite genres. So every single time there's a new time travel movie, no matter how bad, we will be watching it. Um, they love exposition. Exposition yes. oh, is totally. is a thing that happens in a lot of time travel movies because I feel they have to explain mm-hmm. every step so you don't get lost. Um, and even the most famous one, Back to the Future, the first one, is really tight because that script's tight, but that is explaining everything that's about to happen before it happens kind of thing. Um, time crimes, you don't get any of that. It is... Right. He, um, the, uh, Hector does, doesn't speak a lot. Um, he did go through periods when he's, say, talking to the scientist and he's trying to go, what the, what, you know... And the really confusing moment when we first meets him, because the scientist obviously has already been in this situation before, so this is not the first time this has happened, which is kind of a cool when you're like, hang on a minute, how does he know to get him in the in the thing right. and, and right. all that kind of stuff? And it's oh, when he's like Hector three, we're you know talking yeah. about that, like when he takes the battery out and he'd already taken the battery out before he was ever asked about it yes so that he knew it was all coming yes fascinating it's fascinating you're just like going hang on which actually hector is is this um and because you're you, even when you realize thinking about the movie you're like i've only seen the middle portion i've never actually seen the actual end and the beginning there's something else going on and there's such a confusing way of like oh you know you need to get in here you need to do this um and it's so well done because and it's so freaky because especially when pink face kind of jumps up hector whatever hector that is sort of jumps up and you see him in the window and it's terrifying and i just remember being freaking out when i first saw this like very dark there i'm just like going what is happening but again you don't get that much dialogue so and when everything's explained it's usually a visual cue and you're like oh okay now i know what's happening (laughs) Kind yeah. of. I mean, outside of the set where they have, or whatever the location was, where they had that tank, mm. um, and which becomes the, the the time machine, and then the house. There's almost no 
there's hardly any locations. There's like four characters yeah. you know, in the entire thing. It's and it's yet it's like it's such a effective time travel thriller. It's so good. I mean, I was just thinking like I was thinking this morning wasn't how did who was the first how did he first then be, you know, uh, who was the first Hector to do all this? How was he the first the Hector seeing the original guy? Yeah. And I'm like, OK, no, he's only seeing the guy because he went back in time and did it himself. But he'd already done it. It's like it's it's it my brain to it, think about it. But it's. When you actually start thinking of the mechanics of how things happen, it has it hurts your brain, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. because you're just like, what is it, this? Just in an infinitive loop that's just going to keep keep happening? Like, right, right. It, it's and it's kind of done on purpose because for Hector to get to the time machine in the first place, he has to see himself um, and not know that he's seen himself. All he knows is that there's mm-hmm. a weird guy in pink bandages stabbed him in the arm with with scissors, um, and the fact that. Hector never deviates from what has happened before is also fascinating. Um, I think he thinks he is, but he never kind of, you find out he's not, he's just sort of replaying what has happened before. It's just you not getting all the information until you get to the end of the movie. You're like, Oh, that was the thing all along. Yeah. But I'm like, how did he stab himself to begin with? And I guess he's only, I mean, I guess he's only stabbing himself in the arm because he stabbed himself in the arm because he was replaying that moment. Yeah. But I'm like, how did that happen? I, it's just, it's, it, it boggles my mind, but it's it, at the same time, I, you know, it's like a, every time travel movie has these like sort of holes where you're like, but wait, how, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but this one is so damn entertaining that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I don't care. It's, I too, don't, yeah. it's good. It's really um, good. It, what is it Bruce Willis says in Looper when he goes, I'm not explaining time travel because otherwise we'll be sitting here with a diagram of with um, straws? Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, totally. This is this movie. If, if you yeah. kind of, um, they're not exactly plot holes um, because this is kind of a, just an infinitive loop, but we would be here um, trying to make diagrams oh, yeah. out of straws <laughs> to try and figure out how this all started. That little diagram that the scientist draws, that Nacho playing the scientist draws, yeah. where it's like a little sort of curvy, like arrow yeah. line. And you're here as an X, and you're also here as an X. And mm. once you go through the time, you'll all come back together. Is mm. like, I think, a good, such a good enough explanation for the audience to go, like, sure, okay. Yeah. Like, I think every time travel movie needs just a little bit of, like, here's how time travel works. But it's, I think, a great lesson for for filmmakers wanting to make a time travel movie that it's like, this is as much logic as you need. You have a visual. He drew it on a piece of paper. It took him five seconds and we and go. We're all good. We know he just has to catch up with himself and all set and we'll be fine. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm still not convinced, this, but okay. Yeah, no, I'm not convinced either. I'm, I, I think he's in trouble. Again, if he had just sat still, this <laughs> there's a whole lot of trouble he wouldn't have got himself in. Yeah. But um, going back to the the poor time crime, the actual time crime mm. of this, I watched again this morning because I was I wanted to see the scene. Like speaking of not really seeing when he's motivated to do things, I was really curious. Like when does he decide or when does he figure out that you know he thinks that he has hurt his wife oh yeah grabbing her and she falls off the roof and dies and he's like holy shit i have to not do that mm. even though he's been told that there's another hector and he wasn't able to solve it and that's why he said don't let him get in the tank again and then he gets in the tank again anyway mm. 
because quite frankly the scientist has no pain threshold he no. really cannot he takes the, the barest of hits he, I mean, it's really more that this is a man who cannot say no to begin with. Right, right. Um, and then it all just kind of goes from there. So as soon as he gets a little bit of, like, a, a hit, he's like, okay, fine, get back in the tank, whatever, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it takes nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, he should have really held his ground when uh, Hector was like, hey, I'm going to take, I'm going to I'm gonna just tear up this whole facility if you don't let me do what I need to do. Mm. And the guy was like, go ahead and tear it up. It's not going to mm. help your problem. You know, yeah. go, go. For it. it was like, you should have held. That's where you should have, you know what I mean? At that point, you should have just, you know, folded your cards, put them in front of you and go, you next move. I'm done. Like this yes. is, I'm calling your bluff. Okay? Yes. This is but getting he crazy. But no. he doesn't. He immediately goes, all right, fine. I'll, oh, wait, wait, wait. He turns around, goes, oh, hold on. Let me put you in the tank again. I don't want you to destroy everything. <clears throat> like, but anyway, when he, when I was watching it to see like, when does he decide it's going to be the girl? Um, what what do you think? Um, I think it's when because I was kind of thinking about this whether Hector thinks he's actually changing the future or whether this was kind of what was happening all along. Um, right, right. And I'm not a hundred percent sure when his actual motivation was. I think it's when he cuts her hair personally when he's like, "Okay, it has to be you. I have yes, to make you think yes. that you're my wife." Um, but. I was just thinking, so was it um, Clara, his wife, who actually fell off the roof, or was it always the girl? Um, and I'm not yeah. still 100% sure about that, because if he's just reenacting every single thing that he does because it does, is it, does he think he changes that one moment, or was that girl always doomed to be pushed off the, the roof I, of the house? It's, I don't I'm, know. I, it's a great it's, question. And I don't I, know. I, I, I completely zapruded it this morning by pausing it on her, his wife's face after she fell. Mm. And it looks like the actress playing Clara. Yeah. But, but cause here's the thing. When he hits himself and falls through the car the second time. Yes. When he hits his own car with the second <laughs> car. Yeah. And then crashes the second car. <laughs> he, that's when the girl approaches him yet again. Yes. But at this time, he has the bandages. She doesn't realize it's the same person. Yes. And he, she approaches him, and he talks with her, and then he just says, "Because of course he would. He's been in two car accidents today. Mm. He's, he's had a ridiculously face. bad they, day. They, they keep adding things to his face, so it kind of looks like it's swollen. It's 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 really really great actually. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of it, he's you could tell he's been through it. <laughs> totally. And and he she, she talks to him and he passes out mm. and then she wakes him up. So I'm like, okay, it's not here. Mm. He hasn't decided by at this point. He he probably would be doing something at this point. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do right now. Yes, that's why he just passed out and was like, I don't know. Mm. And I think it's when he goes back into the house and it's night, and then Clara comes in. Yeah, and he has a moment where he's looking at her and he stands up, and I feel like at that point he's like. Cause she's so sweet to him and like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And what's happening? Mm. That's when I think he stands up and he's like, I'm going to, it's not going to be her. It's mm. not going to be Clara. It's not going to be my wife. And that from then on, he is like going with his plan. I'm going to put you here in the shed. I'm going to go get her. I'm going to cut her hair. I'm going to put her upstairs. It, but it's again, it's, it's not a moment that's telegraphed in a very obvious way. Like another movie would. No, it's it, another reason why this movie rules. It it really doesn't 
because you don't know whether he's just recreating moments of Clara was always going to be in the shed and that poor girl was always going to get was always going to yeah. fall or whether this is the Hector that finally breaks the loop and goes, okay, if I kill this girl, Clara will be okay. I won't have to keep going back in time to try and s- s- fix this mess. I can, we can just sit in the garden and be fine. Even though you can tell everything's not fine, <laughs> especially on no. Clara's face is like going, what is happening? Like, and you don't know, if they will be okay, if there's another Hector coming up down the thing because he can't let his wife die, or if this is just, this is the moment where the loop ends and they're finally caught up, or if Clara's going to look at him and go, you're, I don't know who you are, um, because mm-hmm. he's been through this so mm-hmm. many times that he's changed and she's just not going to recognize her husband anymore. I love how it ends on this kind of, I mean, because he, he's killed someone, so he's not, the yes. same person. I mean, it's a really no. fascinating arc. He's gone from normal guy, I bought IKEA, likes to birdwatch, mm-hmm. um, pretty relaxed, to this intense person who has committed murder. And mm-hmm. the look on his, what I love, I was just kind of going, oh, she's not happy about any of this. I mean, they're going to find the body, there's going to be questions. Um, this is not. He thinks he's sitting there very calm and like going, everything's fine. I'm back to normal. This is where I want it. His wife is sitting next to him, absolutely terrified, going, I don't know what's happening and I'm not getting a good enough explanation at the moment. Um, Yeah. It's a brilliant way to end the movie because, yeah, there are so many unanswered things. You don't know. I don't think everything's going to be okay after this this point. No, and... And I think at some point in the middle of the movie, there are like police sirens, right? Yes. Yeah. That's not where the movie ends. It ends before any of that happens before the rain. Mm. And so, and I love that ending shot where it's well from behind and he throws the scissors behind him. And he's, as you said, he's set up those chairs for him because he's like, no, this is how the day was going great. We were just sitting in our chairs, looking out at, and I'm going to end it. Yeah, and we have a. I'm gonna just enjoy this moment with you. And he's throwing the scissors, clearly going, "I'm done. I'm not gonna continue to do anything more in this loop. I'm yeah. now gonna let it catch up and let it all the cards fall where it will." But mm. to your point, I don't know if anything good happens after that because the cops are gonna show up. There is a dead girl in the garden. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, what you know, like there's going to be questions here yes and you have no good answers no um but yeah uh, and yeah you have murdered someone essentially yeah. yes and you do even though i don't exactly know when he decides to do it because i always thought when he started cutting her hair it's like oh okay this is what i'm gonna do but you're right it's probably when he's getting her to the house when he's like okay it's not gonna be clara it's gonna be you mm-hmm. um it's a very a decision that's made in the moment, but again, I don't know if it's, again, I just don't know if it's part of the loop or if it's just him actually trying to break it. Um, but yeah. to do it, you have to commit murder. And it's such a fascinating way to actually, um, yeah, cause he keeps building every little allowance he gives himself. Like he stabs himself. He does this. He threatens violence against the scientist. He's doing all these little things that build up to the moment of looking at this poor girl who's already pretty much assaulted beforehand, by the way. It's like, you have to get oh. naked. Um, yeah. oh, so yeah. I need you to do this right now. And she's just like, what? Why? Um, and, and he keeps it, saying like, oh, it's okay. You're okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just take all your, just take your clothes off. It's like, he he's unaware of his own creepiness. He really is. And yet he is because he's like I'm, but I got to play this out. 
Yeah. I'm just got to play this out so I can, you know, it's, he's so focused on his own mission. Yes. Of trying to, you know, set everything right in his own mind. That's mm. what he's setting on it to the point of, I just have to commit murder to keep my wife around. Yes. And yeah, it's God. It, 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 I just, yeah. I feel like in another director's hands, this movie would be awful. <laughs> it would be because the the decision to murder someone would be a moral decision. And this movie, it's not, it's right. just something he does. Um, and you've been watching him doing things all throughout the movie that are very questionable, but don't have a tone to it. Like, um, there's no creepy music when he's coming up to the girl. I mean, there are some really creepy moments um, that are unsettling, but they're very matter of fact. So yeah. the fact that it's treated the exact same way when he pushes that poor girl off the top of the, um, the house is, it's it's kind of more riveting than it is, oh, should he be doing any of that? I mean, there's a creepiness to it, but yeah, it's not until you think about it afterward and go, huh, he made some choices. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's it, it is interesting that you would that you would find yourself in this position in the end with all these spur of the moment decisions. And yet he he does take this 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 focus. He does take the lead inside. I'm going to go do all this stuff. Mm. And I kind of and for his wife and I kind of get it as Erica was saying when we were watching it, she was like, well, I get it. His wife's really hot. So mm. congrats to all the Hectors for yes. having <laughs> such a hot wife. <laughs> so I guess you can kind of get it, you know, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. This is a woman he adores and that he will do mm -hmm. literally anything for. And this movie is proving that he will do anything for her. Whether she's asking for this or not, or wants this is a completely another discussion you can have. But because you're so yeah. in Hector's head throughout this whole entire movie, literally his point of view, you don't necessarily mm -hmm. question the morality of anything he's doing until he kills a no. person. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, and that's almost like as the credits are rolling to uh, a wonderful Blondie song picture. Yes, that. I love but, how it keeps uh, going throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and so when the credits roll, you're just kind of like, they have such a, it ends on such a nice moment with the mm. two of them that you have to kind of think back and go, but wait, he did kill that girl though, right? Mm. I mean, like, like he's killed someone now, right? Like, it's it's all like him trying to just get back to his wife, but then without really over pondering it or telling the audience i'm going to commit murder now but he does commit murder and you're left to kind of just think about holy shit well blondie is playing um, <laughs> and so erica was like do you would you do that for me like if i you know if this situation i said well number one we wouldn't live in the country um so that's not going to happen nor could we afford that ginormous house mm. and uh and two i i also i think once i got into that first loop and he was like just go upstairs and just sit and time will catch up tonight and you'll be fine. Mm. I would have just sat and gone, okay, I'll just sit and wait. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't think I would have been like, no, I still got to get out there. I got to get in my car. I got to do, you know what I mean? I don't think I would have freaked out. What would you have done? Oh, I think there might've been a bit of me that would have done the whole, okay, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. <laughs> okay. um, I need to do, and then halfway through, I would have gone, fuck this and gone upstairs. <laughs> I like to think before I got to murder, um, to get back to my partner, I would have just yeah. gone, oh, this is just too much effort. Like getting the bandages, getting the freaking stab thing, get trying to get the thing right when I know I would have, I would have screwed up the timing. I would have screwed up the timing somehow. And I would have gone, oh, fuck this. And then gone back home. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Cause that's why I don't think I would have done anything. Cause I would have been like, man, I've already made a mess. Yeah. I'm back in time. 
I, you know, gosh, I have just screwed everything up. I am just gonna, I'm just gonna hang out here in a room. I'm just not let time... going to like mess with the time continuum anymore. Yeah. It, it's, yep. yeah. And at that point, there's already a Hector going up because that Hector is not the first Hector. Yes. That's what he gets told. There's already a Hector. He's already the third, really. Yeah. He calls himself Hector, too, but he's really the third because there's four, ultimately. It's four, ultimately, that you see, but I think there's maybe a couple more that have happened beforehand. And um, that was smart because when to get him into that place without another Hector, it would have been, I think, too difficult to try and figure out. So the fact that he's kind of starting halfway through a little bit, I think was a really smart way because you get those amazing shots of just pink bandage man and you're just like going, oh, that, that guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, smart. You, you get somebody who doesn't know they're time traveling into a time travel machine very quickly. You do. And, with, and in a way that you're like, sure. I mean, watching it again this morning, I was like, oh, right. He, he even says, oh, I'll get you in the tank and then I'll jump in too. Mm. And then he doesn't jump in. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Mm. What's going on? You know? Uh, and, and yet you don't, it's not weird. Like, you know, you don't question. I don't know if there's something about the language barrier or something, but there's something about, you know, I feel like that's a moment in an American movie where you'd be like, just get in this crazy tank and I'll just lower the top on top and he'll never find you. That you'd be like, fuck no, I'm not yeah. doing that. I'm not getting in this thing, you know, but th it happens and you don't question it. You're like, oh, okay. It happens so quickly. Like, he, Tommy yeah. gets in there. He's like, you got to get in the tank. Look, he's coming. And you see him in the window. And the way it's done, you don't actually, and I don't think Hector gets time to think about it that much as well. You just have no. to get in the tank. Um, or you face Pink Bandage. And, yeah, I, yeah. if this was, I think there was meant to be an American, they were trying to do an American remake of this. Yes. Um, yeah, I think Steve Zalian was uh, writing one. At least that was the word, like, I think in, like, 2011 or something. Yeah, like so. which I'm kind of glad they, well, um, actually, remakes or whatever, but... Um, even if they did do an American remake, I would still have, we would always still have the original time crime, but sure, yeah, it sure. would have been interesting to sort of see where they would have to have those big moments and those big moments of exposition, ex exposition to actually, um, to actually do this kind of movie and how much, um, action they think they would have had maybe have, have to have added in this because there's a lot of action happening, but because it's so understated, there's no real moment. No big momentum to this movie. It's just really kind of just straightforward and calm. Um, it'll be interesting to sort of see how much running there would have to be in this movie in the American remake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if it was an American remake, it would definitely be... There'd be two ways to go. I think you could either really go full bore horror kind mm. of thing and then replay it, you know, again, knowing that he's got to do these things, which could be interesting, or it would be much more action-oriented. Yeah. You know, and, which I think it would... That's the way it would go. Because you can't redo exactly what you've done, so you've got to blow it up and make it more. Exactly, so, yeah. You know, you're going to go further into the horror, further into an action. But it's definitely going to... I feel like they would... they just fuck it up. They would fuck this up. Even Steve Zalian, who's amazing, an incredible Yes. Screenwriter. I just... I I, I would be like, you, you can't. You just screw it up. Yeah, it, it. it is such a good premise for a time travel movie and the way nacho did it i think is really excellent because he just went let's just do this um you're in hector's point of view or whichever hector you're seeing at that particular moment's point of view um so the emotional element of what he's doing is always going to be clouded by the fact that he wants to get back to his wife even though he's doing 
so many different crimes to well one big yep. crime to get back there and it's yeah. kind of what would you it's a good what would you do moment and i'm kind of yeah i think uh, uh, just go home just go home sit upstairs just wait <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah, the best thing we, to do just leave things alone <laughs> an american remake would probably also get into like what is this lab who is yes. this company yes because all that stuff the scientist who ends up turning it on he ended up turning it on just because he was curious and i guess he's just there on the weekend he didn't he just um, wanted to see what it was he, he's not even in charge of it he's just yeah yeah and no one's there which makes sense for europe mm. like that he, they're just like oh hey it's the weekend this is a new this is a new prototype we're not even going to turn this on for six months but just like clean up this weekend would you mm. we're all going to go home because it's the weekend in america it would be like i mean we got to all be at the lab seven days a week yeah you know what i mean we're working on something important. There'd be no days off. There'd be no way, like, there'd be one guy yeah. just hanging on and could just turn the machine on and off at his whim. That would not be the case. Oh, And my... they would get into that whole story, which, again, is not, you don't need it. You don't need it. Because every, does, you don't, it doesn't matter. Every American's facility needs, like, three barriers of security. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not just a door just... with one guy. Yeah. And the guy, yeah, the guy gets into the lab that easily, that he just breaks a window, walks in, like, yeah. how, how, no, there's definitely security there over the weekend if there's no one else working, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, uh, so it, it but and again, you, you would just ruin the movie with all that kind of bullshit, you know, trying to think through all that stuff. Yeah, because this movie has a cool gothic quality, which I, a lot of Spanish uh, movies have, which I adore. The more I watch Spanish movies, then I'm like, oh, I need to watch more spanish from movies from spain and because you've kind of got this um circular kind of pinprint kind of always reminded me of sort of the silent more expressionist movies especially dr caligari that like to have that kind of circle kind of zoom kind of thing that they did in those mm -hmm, movies and mm -hmm. the fact that this is an old um equivalent of the old creepy castle on the hill that's deserted with the mad scientist except it's sure. some poor guy nacho uh going hey i'm just here hanging out <laughs> i was even meant to be here um i think it's kind of a cool kind of conceit um even though it's really flashy and very kind of thing but i was reading some of the trivia and i have no idea this is true because i don't read i don't speak or read spanish unfortunately but apparently mm. one of the computers you can kind of see um one thing saying uh need to renew beta test like one of those things when you're getting like the trial on a um thing and apparently it's about sure. to run out right right <laughs> which yeah. is a detail of that sure i love <laughs> yeah i i read that too and i do not even having seen it twice for this like mm. i was like i don't know i did not see where that was but i i was so there's you know there's just that's why i'm like i can't believe i haven't seen this guy's other films because this guy just i feel like picks you up and takes you on this ride and i just was like Every single time I'm like, yeah, man, take, take me there. Where, where are we going? Like, and, but yeah, that's, that's a hilarious detail. I just, I did not see where that was. Yeah. Neither know? did I, I know, but this is the kind of movie where you can watch it multiple times and they get something new out of it. Um, yeah. just a little detail that you missed before, because this movie is all about the details. Um, it is all about these tiny little moments that add up to a bigger whole. And you can read this movie because it's so simple, it's deceptively simple. This is not a simple movie. Um, no. You can read it many different kinds of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But you can only read it one way in terms of there being a time crime. He does there is. commit a time crime. He does and commit a time crime. For Spain, it is don't ride a bicycle around the forest. <laughs> no. And if you do, don't get involved. 
with any strange man if you see a a car crash with a guy with bandages just walk away you don't Don't you don't need don't be the hero hero yeah in spain do not ride a bike in the forest and find a man with a pink bandage because it will not go well for you (laughs) (laughs) as erica said i need a hero i don't know what the spanish is for that but no no you know no no do not be the do not be the hero be a hero yeah (laughs) Um, anything else you want to say about time crime before we move on to a movie that's doing the complete opposite? <laughs> oh, speaking of, definitely somebody who you need a hero. Um, yeah. No, you know the only thing. Uh, um, I, I think we've already said this. I just loved how every detail, like even down to the overturned garbage can. Yes. Like there's really like he doesn't leave anything out. Everything nope. has a moment, which I think is amazing. Even that Blondie song is not just for the credits. It keeps coming up throughout the movie. Um, and because it's, it's such a buoyant um, Blondie song, it makes yeah, it even yeah. creepier. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's a great song, especially for the end moment of that yes. movie. Because it really has been playing already, but it ha- it is such a great, upbeat song. Yeah. And you can almost imagine... Um, it's 2007. It doesn't say what time period it is, but it seems like it is modern times, at least as of 2007. So you got to think of Blondie might even be a song that they as a couple would like. Yes. And it might be a song that, that they they just really enjoy together. And you're ending with the two of them back in those lawn chairs. Yeah. So it's just such a beautiful moment. I just yeah, it's a great, great music piece of music to play during that. It really, really is. Um, no, this is a great, great movie. It is just, you're just watching it in awe of just how everything kind of fits together. And it is just spectacular. Um, now, to go into a movie that is uh, doing the complete opposite of everything we've talked about, <laughs> but it's still glorious in its own way. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, that will, We're going to be going into Time Cop. Um now, Ryan, if you're going to show your first trailer for Time Cop, what would it be? Okay, so for my first trailer, um, this is a movie that I had seen before, but I had to rewatch just to make sure that I think that this would play well, and I think it will. I'm talking Deja Vu from 2006. Now, we're going to need all our manpower until we can determine that it is a crime investigation. It is a crime investigation. Two hours ago, Two hours ago. a victim was murdered. What do you got for me? A couple of kids found a woman face down in the waters off Algiers Point. Three days ago, three days ago, a killer set his plan in motion. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. But what if you could go back to stop the crime before it ever happened? Happened. Doug, I've been put in charge of a newly formed investigative unit. I want you on the team. Why me? We've got some unique time constraints. It's a brand new program. It's called Snow White. We can look anywhere. Four days in the past. This is the actual past. Yes. Wow. What if you could save a life? Nice. Um, I love this movie. This movie actually took a few times for me to really like. I think I always thought the third act fell apart, but um, just because Tony Scott is going so large with it, like, um, like this movie, there is no subtle moments. There are no... Actually, there are a couple of subtle moments in, in Deja Vu, especially when you have Denzel watching, is it Paul Patton? Um, uh-huh. Through yep. time. And it's just this beautiful moment of her just image on the wall and him falling in love with her. It's, it's, um, oh, that movie's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a blast. And, you know, Denzel Washington's an ATF agent. 
He's brought into this task force led by the FBI for this new technology called Snow White. And this is, you know, it's Tony Scott directs this, directs the living shit out of it. It's mm-hmm. so good. And of course, they're studying the explosion of this New Orleans ferry uh, that, you know, was was blown up by this uh, radical extremist. And this is kind of what we were talking about. Like, you, this movie still works, but this is an American movie that kind of has this, you know, we're talking about Time Cop, but I'm, I'm bringing up Time Crimes again, where I'm saying if somebody remade it, this kind of has that device where we have to over explain the technology that they yes. use and then how they use it and how, as you said, in the third act, Denzel's and I, I don't know how any of that works, but at the same time, the thing is we don't, it doesn't matter. No, because with between Denzel and Tony Scott, we don't care. This no. is a great, enjoyable ride. And I don't give a shit. It's so fun. There's something about every single time. I mean, Denzel's already a very attractive man, but every single time he's in a Tony Scott movie, the attractiveness seems to go up. I don't know what yeah. it is. It just whatever <laughs> filter that oh, 10 filters uh, Tony's using on him. I, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, and so when you're watching it, the plot doesn't really care. I'm just watching two very attractive people fall in love and then all this insanity. And you're right. They do overexplain everything because this is a 2006 as well movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's around a similar time, uh, time crimes. And they overexplain every little bit, but then so, so much, yeah, so much, but it kind of fits the tone because everything is too much in deja vu. Everything's a bit too, um, which is when the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh God, this is a bit extra. Um, but that's kind of the charm of it. <laughs> well, as Tony Scott, he, you know, he yeah. loves movies that he's able to deal with a movie that is a lot of excess Yes, and still make it palpable and still make it watchable mm. and make it something that you get into. And that's the thing when you have him and Denzel, of course, is another great tool to have when everyone's trying to explain everything. And he's like, I I, I cut all the, you know, bullshit scientific talk. Tell me straight. What, how does this work? Where do we go from, you know, it, it, but it does sort of bog itself down in a lot of these kind of details and, you know, how exactly it sets up where the time travel happens is a little like, I don't know, but again, Denzel in a perfect place playing a police officer or mm. playing a, you know, a, a, a law enforcement agent, yeah. agent anyway. And he is great in, as anything. Yes. But I love him when he plays a law enfor- enforcement agent of some kind or cop that is got, you know, he, he, he's very smart and he knows, you know, what he's doing more than anyone else, but everybody's putting him down and he's always trying to fight through all the red tape to get, you know, he's done many movies like that. And I always love seeing him in that kind of role. He's always great in that kind of part. He really is. He's kind of like the perfect um, action star, even though I think he's done, he's obviously done the things. He's got a stupid range of just what he can do. Oh, totally. Um, But Denzel in action mode, when he's just like, I'm here, I've got a job to do. Just point me in the right direction where I need to do it. I'm just like, yeah, Yeah. I, yes, I will watch this kind of movie 10 times over. Yeah, you buy it. You buy every second of it because he's just incredible, you know? He he really is. And that is just a great over-the-top trailer. Well, it's an over-the-top movie, which is good because we will be talking about an over-the-top very Yes, movie. certainly an over-the-top movie. But yeah, I mean, it's the fact that Denzel can go from like, you know, he can go from playing a cop like this or an agent like this, and then he can play, you know, Macbeth. Yeah. It's just like this guy has all the range. 
you I know, love, you, I really loved his Macbeth. This overly tired man who just oh, wants to so go to sleep. Macbeth. He's, he's so sleepy. Asleep. Just let him sleep. Just let him sleep. He's very taser tired boy. If he could have taken a nap, he, all that wouldn't have happened. No, he wouldn't know? have. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he could still kick your ass when he's that tired, I love <laughs> that moment when he's like going for that guy and just takes the sword off, off him, um, the dagger or something. But no, he's, he's a very sleepy Macbeth, but it works. Like, yeah, yeah it's... He, um, it's great Macbeth. <laughs> I mean, he's great in literally everything. Literally, everything. Everything he touches is fantastic. He's, he's, he's just perfect. Um, right, what am I going to go for? Actually, I am actually going to go for not... It's not really a time travel movie. Um, it's definitely set in the future, but the more I think about it, the more there's a kind of a similarity between these directors... Kind of. I might be making this up and stretching it, but I'm going to go for Nemesis by Albert Pion from 1992. Oh. He should die for what he's done. Get out! In a future false world, he stands for truth. He's a cop, all right. In a violent world, violence is his life. He knows he must face the human condition alone. It takes more than flesh and blood to be human, Alex. I can't feel anything anymore. Maybe you should take the time to find out what you care about, Alex. You're not really human anymore, are you? He knows the answer, but he doesn't know the question. I think he accepted the story. By the time he learns the truth, it'll be too late. Wow. Yeah, the more I watch Peter Hyams' movies, the more I realize that he's not just a which i love me a journeyman director like they're some of my favorites i mm -hmm. don't think that's hyams i think hyams even though he took on a lot of projects that were considered um what you would do for um a journeyman um and even though uh, albert peon is his own bizarre for creature sure. um sure. there's kind of a little bit of a similarity between them just in terms of how they stage action and kind of create their own thing. So, um, and I don't think Pion's made they're a time travel movie. What's so that? yeah, I don't think he, Pion's made a time travel movie specifically, or is it Nemesis is? I can't, I never well, Nemesis remember the is. plot. Yeah, Nemesis I, is, in fact, I was even thinking about Nemesis 2. Oh yes, yeah. that is when she comes back in time to, but it's, it's it was much, it's much more of a Terminator story and that's yes. why I ended up not using that. But I'd love, I mean, the first Nemesis, I kind of like the whole series, <laughs> but the first nemesis is just, but it, it it is terrific. It's a terrific film. And you're right. Albert Pion and, and, uh, and Peter Hyams were both very much, I feel like working class directors. Yes. But the difference with is that Albert Pion would love to have had like a fifth of the budget that Peter Himes was getting. <laughs> yes. Even though Peter Himes wasn't exactly getting prestige movies but no. he was getting you know he he was really like we were saying earlier he's the guy who makes these solid films he has he a is. solid filmography and he was making those mid-level budget movies I, yes that albert pion would would have prayed for you know yes. uh, you know wished and he what he was doing was trying to stretch whatever money he had and made it make that whole movie look like a thousand you know a million bucks and make it look like he you know you had a huge budget which yeah 
it shows how much um, I pay attention. Well, Nemesis movies are very confusing, and I could not remember if they were just set in the future or their time. Yeah, they get very nebulous in their... Um, for sure, for sure. In their storytelling. But there is a... Yeah, Albert Pion would have loved Hyams' um, budget when maybe Hyams would have loved maybe a John McTannan kind of budget for what kind of you wanted to do. But there was no other director like Albert Pion. The, his imagination, the way he constructed his movies, how messy, how fluid, how bizarre they are. There's no other director like him. Even his Captain yeah. America, which is questionable. Um, as Eric can say, those, the real crime here is those ears. Um, it's, <laughs> it is, it's such a what movie, but at the same time, no one would have directed it like Albert Pion. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I went, there's a big difference in watching the movie at the time, which certainly when I watched it back in the day, hmm. my, my thought was always like, well, this movie's kind of sucks. That doesn't mean I didn't rent it several times. Oh, exactly. But, yeah. But you're also watching things in such a, it's such a difference now watching all these movies that we watched in VHS. And now you're getting to see it on a, a nice Blu-ray and you get to see everything in scope. It's almost like Reese, like seeing the movie again for the first time, because hmm. you're finally, if you weren't able to see it in a movie theater, you know, you're finally seeing things in the appropriate aspect ratio, and it makes an enormous difference. And that film in particular, because I just rewatched it just last year, mm -hmm. that is such a different experience watching Captain America, like in its actual aspect ratio than watching it on a pan and scan VHS. Yeah. And, you know, because there is a lot of good, uh, he gets a lot of good production value. And that's one thing that, that Albert Pune was amazing at, finding good locations. I mean, he makes the second a nemesis movie out of almost nothing it's five dollars in a pizza like, yeah yeah and he, he just gets a few good stunts he blows mm. up everything and he mm. finds this old like i think it was like a mining operation that was closed or whatever yeah, and he just like, yeah. uses the shit out of that location to just have all these stunts and blow the hell out of it and make it look like this movie cost a lot of money when it didn't cost anything um yeah, or and even he was in, so good at doing that. He really was. Even in Nemesis, where you have the half-destroyed building, because it's meant to be this kind of future where um, everything's kind of destroyed. It's very dystopian, very, again, as you're saying, Terminator. Um, but again, he just found a... But yeah, he was so good at finding those spots and really good at kind of staging his stunts and his action that the movies do appear to have more money than they um, than they did. In particular, same with Hyams. He was also very good at that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what they what the, even the budget was for Nemesis, but my God, that scene where he just shoots through the floor and keeps falling through the different oh, floors, I mean, yeah. that is just an absolutely classic, terrific scene. And it's a great, such a great pick because Olivier Gruner is like, I mean, he is such a... Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know. He is like the direct-to-video direct Jean-Claude Van Damme before Jean-Claude Van Damme was making direct-to-video movies. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that's it, a great, it's such a great pick. Yeah, no, it is um, for all those reasons. Like when I was sort of watching it for the first time, I'm like, was this meant to be called Van, him Van Damme? I mean, he's even, I think he's even Belgium as well. It's it's that close. <laughs> and, you know, he'd worked with uh, Van Damme as well with Cyborg. So like they certainly knew each other. So, yeah. But I think that Grunier, I think was that, that was somebody he was handed. Yes, he wanted, wrong. he wanted to have, I think the actor he did for Nemesis too, because he always wanted a woman. It was always supposed to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the studio yeah. were like, no, 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 no. You take this 
Jean-Claude Van Damme look alike. You've worked with him in Cyborg. Yeah. Just you need to use him. <laughs> and that was in the 90s when we were like, you know who will make great action stars? Uh, kickboxers from around the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> great action stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, he's yeah. got such a fascinating career, like filmography. Mm. I have barely watched any Olivier Grenier movies. And I'm like, I, I really want to watch through a bunch of them because I, I I think he's kind of an interesting star. Not on, you know, not on like Gary Daniels, who I love watching a lot of his movies. They're they're not always great, but they are very enjoyable. Uh, and I missed a lot of those, you know, DTV, uh, direct-to-video, direct-to-DVD uh, yes. <laughs> you know, movies. I Me too. This was a whole world I didn't even really knew existed, except for the whole, oh, they're making this kind of movie. I'm like, okay, it's probably going to be bad. I'm not going to watch it. And then you watch a few yep. of them, and you're like, yep. huh, they're doing things I don't think they'd get away with if they had money, because this is just literally something to put in a video store or a, or something now It's just for streaming. Um, so no one's really paying attention to what they're doing at all. And you can get some wild, wild movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of these cause I worked in video stores a lot mm. and, you know, in high school and college and stuff. So, I mean, but I, I know, especially who I was at that time, I know I was, you know, really up my own butt about movies at the time and, and was like, Oh, I'm not going to, that's just some, you know, junky movie. But now that we're away from that era, mm. And I look back at the director video and there's still a lot of director video movies that are being made. And I'm mm. like, no, that that's, that's actually the stuff I, I'm way more into now than ever before because, yeah. and I wish that I had, you know, given a lot more of those a chance. I know I still watched some, but a lot of those I just didn't. And I was like, I wish I had watched those because there's, there's been so many great discoveries I've had just watching through some of those movies and they're so enjoyable. And we're, we've been talking this whole time. We don't get these kinds of movies anymore. No, you know, we, we don't. Were, we, we didn't realize that, that no one knew the industry yeah. didn't know that this whole thing was going to stop yeah. and everything was going to change. Yeah. And, and uh, I wish I had given a lot more of those movies a chance at the time, but terrific terrific movies and nemesis is an awesome pick oh it, it yeah if you haven't seen nemesis it's a trip it's seriously a trip of a movie oh, so good oh ryan what is going to be your second trailer well um i was going to pick source code but um that has been chosen <laughs> um so uh, my backup was going to be something we talked about off mic and that is universal soldier regeneration from 2009 universal soldier Gentlemen, we'll be fighting against the perfect soldier. The battle. We're going in. The impossible. Our only hope. To start him up again. I'm going back. I'm going to fight. But standing in his way. Before. Excellent. Um, no, going for um, Hyams Jr. movie, which Peter Hyams also shot. It's, um, yeah, these, again, talking about DT movies that are just really, really solid, and this is one of them. Yeah, this is a really, really solid one. Um, I've seen a little bit of what John Hyams has done. I wish, I feel like he still hasn't really broken out. Um, I want him, I know he's, he's still been making movies. He had just had a movie come out in 2020, but like, 
seeing uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration, especially knowing his dad was doing the was the DP. Mm. I was like, this guy is going to really, really break out. And then he kind of just, you know, made another Universal Soldier movie. I've just been kind of waiting for him to break out because getting people that know how to shoot action is such a blessing for these kinds of movies. His dad clearly knows how to do it um, and has been great at it. So, yeah, I, I chose this one purely because it's another Jean-Claude Van Damme, Hyams uh, joint. And this time uh, having both Papa and son Hyams uh, working on this one. So I, you know, you're about to watch a, uh, if we were sitting in a theater about to watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, you know, seeing a trailer of another Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, is, you know, you can't do, you can't go wrong. <laughs> no, you really can't, especially when this one has Dolph as well, which um, I'm a, yeah. love Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. Um no, you really can't. And I do love the fact that his son has kind of taken up the mantle of action movie. He also made Alone, I want to say, I think this was just before the pandemic or around 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, 2020, yeah. 20, um, which is also really great. Again, just knowing someone who knows how to shoot action is um, really great. So it'd be kind of interesting to see what kind of other movies he makes, um, makes in the future. Because I think this is... Yeah, it, that is a really good trailer, and it is just a really good, interesting franchise that has its ups and downs, but is mm -hmm. always interesting. But I, but definitely the highs are when the Hyams come back, and yes. that's when the because the straight to TV movies are not are not enjoyable. They're not good. Yeah, that was sci-fi, weren't they? That was sci-fi channel. I think so. Yeah. They are not. They are not good. Yeah. Um, so they definitely made this a franchise. It's like, oh, oh, actually, these Universal Soldier movies are great because I love the first one. Yeah, the first um, one's so much fun. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, this that is an absolutely great, great trailer. Um, right, what am I going to do? Uh, dun, dun, dun. You know what? Okay, I am going to go for, uh, oh, screw it. I'm going to go for Back to the Future 2, um, 1989. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the Future. Are we back? We're back. What do you mean we're in the future? October 21st, 2015. Marty, we're going to be able to see our wedding. Wow. The future. I got to check this out, Doc. Look what happens oh. to your son. Oh. He's a complete wimp. I didn't invent the time machine to win at gambling. I can't lose. I invented the time machine to travel through time. Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? Awesome. Um, only because um, rewatching uh, Time Cop, I was kind of surprised by the actual plot of it. Like, I completely forgot what the plot was. And the fact that it's all about going back in time to make money or having something from the past that can actually make you money, like mm -hmm. the almanac. Mm -hmm. um, I went, ah, screw it. Let's just do the second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a great that's a great call i mean mm. and certainly one of the premier uh time travel movies yes you know? yeah that is yeah i probably, think it... probably my probably my first one though i almost did um what time after time <gasps> yeah that is a oh god that is a great movie <laughs> yeah and i watched but i watched the trailer and i was like this this it played in the trailer i found and i there's probably other trailers mm. and you might have found something different but it, it just played so slow 
And this is such a, what I recall anyway, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but it was not that it's a, you know, action packed movie because it's a bit more of a fish out of water story, but like having HG Wells as a guy who's also created, not just wrote about it, but created time travel. And then Mm. he's like, goes to modern times and he's chasing Jack the Ripper, who has also got in the time machine and has has come to the present um, is such an interesting story, but it play, it just the trailer was so flat. I was like, eh. but that that might have been my first uh, time travel movie. Oh, I think or Back to the Future. Actually, I think mine was the third one, Back to the Future Three. Like I only saw Time After Time recently, and I was kind of blown away by how good that movie was. But I can see how they would. Yeah, it's not a slow movie. It's much more kind of paced because it is much more about the, the fish out of water and the love story between Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen. Mm-hmm. and Jack the Ripper almost turns into a B-plot at some points, uh, which is kind yeah. of incredible that you have Jack the Ripper, but you have so much going on that you can kind of turn him into your B-plot. Um, but no, Time After Time is a, is uh, an incredible movie, and my first time travel movie, I think, was going to see time uh, Back to the Future 3 when he went back to the West. <laughs> yes. Um, which I always have a bit nostalgia for because of that one. Um I think shot at the same time as the second one, I believe. They, I think they shot them oh, back did to they? back, which is one of the first. I think uh, it was very Zemeckis. Yeah, <laughs> one of the first times I'd really heard of that kind of thing happening. Yeah, um, shoot two movies back to back. Yeah, obviously, probably not the first time. Yeah, people have done it like crazy, but you know, um, in fact, they do it constantly in all those films that go to Romania. They always like need to have like two movies, you know. Yeah. So they'll like shoot two. They'll make sure to throw together and that's why we get some of the hellraiser sequels and other things that they just end up so quickly it's just like another one we made three of these yeah we made three of these this week um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a real roger corman uh, way of thinking though when you're like well why make one when we can make two for the same amount of money you know um the amount of times you go like oh let's just make another movie we're all here um no i mean (laughs) Back to the Future 2 is such a technical achievement, but I've never grown... It's not, it's not a movie I love, actually. I don't know why. I think I, every time I watch it, it's straight after I watch Back to the Future for some reason. So I'm like, oh, we've been here already. Even though what Zemeckis is doing, I think people forget was probably... When he's doing it that well at that time, I think it was actually just like such a, oh, look what I can do kind of thing. And it's getting into his real technical um, yeah. decision of it, even though I think it's a very lumpy movie. And it relies a lot more on the effects because it is in the future. Yes. And I always felt like the the fe- the effects weren't up to snuff at the time, mm. even to pull off a lot of it. Like yeah. some of the effects you have to do in the first one are even a little wonky, mm. but you're like, eh, what the hell? And then you're in the past. So it doesn't matter. You don't need any of those effects because you're in the 50s. Yes. But when you're in the future, you kind of do need those effects. And it doesn't. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, the sequels to the Back to the Future movies. I. They're those, they're those movies that I put on every few years and I'm like, maybe this is better mm. than I remember. And then I watch it. And I'm like, no, they're, they're, they're both what they are. Yeah. You know, and, I, and that's OK. I have nostalgia for three. Only because it was the sure. one I watched oh, as sure. a kid. But I do agree with that. They are kind of what they are. I don't think the original Back to Future, even though Zemeckis is such this kind of technical kind of proficient perfectionist, still feels like a, a, a like a lucky mistake in a lot of ways. Kind of like yeah. uh, Ghostbusters. It was like everything yeah, just kind of came totally. together and they edited it in the yeah. right way. And it was just kind of like those. It's not something you can kind of recapture. 
Yeah, making a good movie in general, I think, is kind of a magic act. Yes. Um, and especially one that like has that kind of, you know, is that kind of phenomenon. Mm. And like clearly doing it the second time around was like not anything that blew the doors off. I think that the third one succeeds a little bit more in that at least says, OK, well, let's tell Doc's story. Yes. You know, let's give him an ending and a mm. closing in terms of his story and what he's been doing rather than just throw more hijinks at Michael J. Fox, which they still do. Yes. But, you know, to just follow his family yet again for another movie would have been like, oh, <sighs> I don't know. Doing this again. <laughs> Lee Thompson again. is playing another version of his mother again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, was... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at least we like they were smart enough to think, okay, we got to back off and just. Yeah. We'll still have a lot of that. We're still going to have the relatives of the people that we know, the other characters. But let's really give Doc a story. Yeah. Which at least it has that. So it's, it a, does. it's a little bit different. It is. And with that, we're going to be getting into a much more... <laughs> I and mean, with that, I... Time Cop. Well, for the past 20 years, he's been trying to keep his face off the cover of Time magazine doing research. His field of research has been time travel. Walker, how have you been, Lila? I'm not hurting anybody. You can't go forward because the future hasn't happened yet. It turns out if you go back and you change something, it's serious. It could be catastrophic. We have to form a brand new covert agency to police this technology and to actually protect time. It's going to be called the Time Enforcement Commission, or the TEC. And this man seated next to me is Commander Eugene Matuzak of the Washington Police Department. He is our choice to run the commission. Agent Walker, heard a great deal about you. I've heard a lot about you, Senator. The same matter can't occupy the same space at the same time. Going back in time is a pretty easy way to make money. I hope you keep trying to get your mad. I never quit. I cannot go back to save her. This scumbag is not going back to steal money. I love this movie, just to be clear, but when oh. you were kind of comparing it to time crime, it kind of feels like we were complaining about, it. oh, this is how a Hollywood movie would do it. And then now we're going to talk about that. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting double um, for sure. Because I watched them back to back. I'd actually watch Time Cop again first. Mm. And then I watched Time Crimes, then watched Time Cop another time. And then watch Time Crimes again. And it, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a little, it's definitely a little jarring. It <laughs> is. But what I love about this movie is that um, Jean-Claude Van Damme sort of makes up the rules of time travel as he goes. Like there is kind of uh, no, yeah. I mean, they kind of set up things that you can and cannot do. He breaks every single one and then reinvents his own rules, which is kind of the only way I think Van Damme could ever do a time travel movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, we talk about at least setting up the, the rules very quickly. Yeah. And this movie does set up the rules really quickly. We have mm. an opening scene that's yeah. set, uh, which we don't know what's happening. It's actually, it's actually happening in the past, but it is a moment they then will get referenced in the next scene. But we don't know what's happening. It's like a stick up or, you know, a, move, a, a scene. I have to think that they were putting in there in the script and in execution thinking, People might be going, are we in the wrong theater? Yes. I thought we were going to watch Time Cop, and oh, now wait, we're watching this Western. Bringing we... out very fancy guns with lasers. Um, right. <laughs> we're in the right movie now. <laughs> and when you think about the scene, like when I immediately rewatched it, and you think about that scene, which has this guy who's got this tooth missing. He's like, I really want your gold, mister. Mm. And you're like, then you realize that that's a guy from the present that went in the past. Why has he got a missing tooth? Like all this stuff is to throw you off of the fact that you're yeah. going to pull out these machine guns and pull mm. these guys away. Uh, you just think you're watching some 
civil war drama yeah 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 um but then they get into the scene which is definitely as we said an american movie is going to take a lot of exposition but we we drill it into one scene yes time travel's been invented we need a, we need we need a police regulation force for the, for, <laughs> for, the to, for for now time which again also makes me laugh because some guy invented it there's a scientist that they that they were working with and yet um it seems like once we actually get into John claude Van Damme going back in time or being a time cop, mm. like you need a large facility with a full staff. Like how many people have this technology and the means to do it? They, they, they capture this guy from the very opening scene selling this Confederate gold to like a foreign country. Yeah. Like does he have, how does he have this whole facility Ex- where I, I hmm. Mm. Oh, well, whatever. No, yeah, bringing up Looper again, you can understand these different little factions of having their own little wonky time travel kind of things because these are all kind of um, criminal um, criminal syndicates and all that kind of thing, and it's been banned, so each one has their own thing. But this is meant to be a highly regulated um, time travel thing. I mean, there's like a, a Senate committee. There's um, – sorry, I don't understand much about American politics, so I apologize. Um, they have a police force. No, neither do our politicians, so don't worry about it. Um, and all that, though I do love the whole fact that the one of the city committee is the one who's rigging the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's, well, that tracks. That That's tra- probably the most realistic part of this. Is that that if really you did does. Time, time travel, <laughs> that our politicians would be in charge of it and trying to profit off of it yes. and make sure they buy an election. I'm like, this all makes sense. This all this makes, makes complete sense. This <laughs> makes even more sense in our present than it even did, it even felt like back then. And it made sense then. Yeah. But it really makes sense now. It really does. It's, and so you've sort of got this kind of thing, but it, yeah, it feels like this highly big organization, yet we're only sort of seeing Bruce McGill, that other guy in Van Damme, um, uh-huh. except for a few other people. Um, because again, Peter Himes makes very solid movies, but he doesn't have that kind of budget that, say, a John McTiernan would have because he's working. Right. The thing I love right. about John, John Claude Van Damme, even though he is one of the great action actors, even in the 90s, he was still kind of in the B League, if that makes sense. He wasn't quite up there with Stallone or Schwarzenegger. He was there with Steven Seagal and um, Dolph Lundgren. Um, well, I, I have, uh, you know what? Looking at this and watching these movies, I kind of have, I've, ri- I, I, I kind of have a different feeling about it because mm. I feel like the 90s really is when Van Damme blows up. This movie, in general, too, it makes a hundred million dollars domestically. Oh wow! I have a very Time different movie than nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But I I agree with you in that in that I was not always a huge Jean Claude Van Damme guy. Um, I did see this movie in the theater because I had gotten on board with him, but it, I got on board with him because I loved John Woo and I had gotten into a lot of Hong Kong action films, mm. um, which at that point in time, for when I got into it, it was. You know, I heard from friends about all these Hong Kong action movies. And then I had to buy like, you know, bootleg VHS, you know, rips at yeah. San Diego Comic-Con and and um, and take those home and watch like Heroic Trio and Hard Boiled and all that stuff. And then some of those started to get onto DVD. And then he made um, he made Hard Target. And I went and saw that going, holy shit, John Woo. And but I was going because of John Woo. I wasn't yeah. going because of Jean-Claude Van Damme. And this was actually just, you know, knowing we were going to talk about Time Cop, I started watching a bunch of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, including stuff I hadn't seen before. And I rewatched uh, Hard Target, of course, because I, I, I was looking for an excuse to break out my new 4K disc. 
and I had just rewatched it. So I tried yeah. to get Erica to do it. She's like, didn't you just rewatch this movie? And I was like, yes, but <laughs> this is brand new. Um, this is the 4K but, version. You're really going to see every single strand of his mullet in this one. <laughs> oh, you know, the mullet is so, it's you've never seen it crisply and clearly as uh. you can in that 4K. And it's just that mullet. Everything about that movie, I absolutely adore. And I mm. love it. And I think at that point, that's when I bought in on Jean-Claude Van Damme because at that point in time, I was really feeling like I had grown up on like Schwarzenegger and Sylvester mm. Stallone movies, Rambo, Rocky. Um, I love Terminator. I was a huge Predator guy. Um, I even read the novelization of Predator. I was so <laughs> into that movie. And and then so when Jean-Claude Van Damme started, I know I saw Bloodsport or Kickboxer, mm. one, one of those. And I was like, meh, OK. But I felt because also you got to remember uh die hard comes out yes and that to me i thought was a game changer mm. uh in terms of action movies in general and i mean i think the industry also was like okay because because here what here was an action star that was a guy who was on tv mm. and he was not this buff guy he was not what any of these other guys were and i was a fan of schwarzenegger and oh yeah Sylvester Stallone. Mm. but bruce willis comes out and it's like Oh well, we don't need to have the buffest guy. Like we don't need to have Mister Universe become be our action star. We can just have a guy. We can have you know David Addison from Moonlighting be our yes, <laughs> be, be our hero. <laughs> you know, and so it, I started looking into this, and I'm like, I I feel like the, this changed a lot of their trajectories. Mm. Uh, Die Hard, and that's why at first for me, Jean Claude Van Damme felt like no, 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 action's changing. Mm. I don't want to go back and watch Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's trying to be like these guys that are becoming outdated. And, yes. and if you look at like Arnold's career, so around 1988, he's doing Twins, Kindergarten Cop. Uh, eventually he does Total Recall, which is still him playing more of an everyman. You know, it more is, than, yeah. You know, uh, and he would be a muscle-bound force again in T2, but even like True Lies, he is like, you know, playing... The, the family man. Kind of a spy, mm. but a family man. He's not commando. He's not raw deal. He's not, you know, he's trying to play like more of an everyman. Mm. And and Sly uh, in 1988's doing Rambo 3, which did not do well. No. At all. We were like, and though I've recently rewatched it, it's actually really great and a really fun movie. But it's, an, it's a really fascinating movie. Like you're just sort of watching this is, going, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. And the, the politics of it are wow. Yeah. Even more wow at this point. But um, it's it's kind of a good movie, but that, you know at that point he's doing like Lockup, and mm. then he's doing Tango and Cash, uh, which is you know because we're in the era of buddy cop movies. Yeah, and we're doing he's doing Oscar Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, mm. and he sort of settles back into the '90s with Cliffhanger, but again that's more of an everyman. Granted, there are scenes where he's hanging from a cliff with his arms, you yes. know, and showing off the muscles, but like you know then he starts jumping into sci-fi action movies like Demolition Man and Judge Dredd. Because it's the 90s, and that's what yes. everybody was doing, including Time Cop. But I exactly. feel like it sort of changed. I feel like Die Hard was such a game changer. That's why we get, like, we're getting a Hunt from Red October at that point in time. Nick Cage becomes an action star. Yeah. Speed with Keanu Reeves, uh, who, mm. you know, granted he'd done um, Point Break, but, you know, this is like, yeah, Keanu's a big action star, sure. Mm. Um, and it's just, an it's, again, just uh, Die Hard on a bus. But, but, it's, you know, it's still perfect speed. movie. <laughs> um, and, and so that's where I think I was seeing action going. And so Jean-Claude Van Damme felt to me like a, a throwback and just felt like, yeah, I, 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 but 
that's my memory of it as well. It was because um, I didn't start watching those when I was I was a kid in the eighties, um, nine years old and down. So if I was watching a movie, if it didn't have a Muppet or something that wasn't created by Jim Henson, I wasn't particularly that interested in it. Um, so it wasn't until I got into the 90s when I sort of watched Predator for the first time. That's when I watched, of course, T2, because that is a 90s movie. True Lies. Um, Stallone already felt like old hat by the time I saw him until mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even Demolition Man, it took me a long time to come around, around on for some reason. I just could not get my head around Rocky being, yeah. Um, yeah, I think and you, Van Damme Stallone was, had a harder time he navigating did, those waters because he's he's not an everyman. No, <laughs> except when he does Copland, when he does it well. But it took him a while to right. get there. <laughs> and he did that like once, and was like, "Now I'm gonna get back into." And he's still like in his seventies and stuff, still, still like, trying Let's do to be another Expendables. Yes. And, like you know, he's still got to be that guy. It's it's interesting that that Schwarzenegger of all people who was, you know, Conan and yes. and all those movies that he kind of eased into being more of an everyman kind of guy, you know. Even though he does of... not look like it. That was always the joke no, about it. it no. Yeah, Kindergarten Cop was the joke is that he's teaching yeah. kindergarten. It's but it worked. It's yeah, um all his comedies, you know, were all based on the fact that like look at how but ridiculous. you're a giant. Yeah, you know, you're ridiculous. How can, you, how can <laughs> yeah. you fit in as a cop? Like, that's yeah. the whole thing. How could yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger ever fit in as a cop? How could he be a twin? Yes, um, to Danny, Danny DeVito. DeVito. You know, I mean, look at the two of them, you know? So, it, yeah. But, but yeah, like, that was not as easy for Sylvester Stallone to kind of... And his choices for comedies were even more questionable. Horrendous. I hate yeah. to say it. Uh, Stop or My Mum Will Shoot being a big one. Um, but, yeah, so I always... So when I was sort of watching these movies in the early 90s, and that's when Claude, uh, Van Damme was coming up, I think I just associated him with all the 80s guys, even though he mm-hmm. was in the 90s. And you're right. I mean, he was on Friends. So, which, again, my teenager barometer is like, going, oh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's on Friends. Um, and so... But I think I always... Because... He's not good at playing the everyman. I still haven't seen um, uh, JCVD, I think it is, when he's yeah, kind of playing himself. Is, which is great. Which yeah, is really good. I still need to see that. But I just, he's never been, if the 90s were more the um, everyman, like in Con Air, it's about a man who wants to get home to his family. Um, you know, like Nick Cage being, and Keanu Reeves being the ultimate 90s action style with speed and point break and then the Matrix, which is literally the everyman. Um, I think I've always sort of put him as, oh, you know, he's with Stallone and uh, Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, same with Seagal, who was never good at playing the everyman, Re- just Oof. refused to. Um, but, but I still feel like he came in on that early 90s yeah. when we were looking for more of an everyman, because you, one thing that he didn't, what he always played a tough, he always tried to play a tough guy, he but did. a family guy often, mm. but he didn't have an imposing physique. He was until he did the splits. No, but... <laughs> But he wasn't a guy that was built on muscle and, no. you know, his martial art even is about using somebody else's, you know, uh, motion against them. So it's all like sort of a defensive kind of martial arts rather than just him like jumping up in the air and, you know, swoop kicking a guy and, and, and with boots on, you know, like Jean-Claude Van Damme does all the time. Yeah. So he had much more, he is certainly more of an everyman quality, but he mm. had, that's only in the first couple movies and then it sort of falls away really yeah yeah you can see you can see when his ego kind of goes it's that when he's um went so fast oh my god i mean jean-claude van damme i mean all these guys we're talking about had egos the size of friggin um watermelons there's like a second head oh yeah 
Um, but the, the, Seagal just, just seeing the if you've seen the quest, if you've seen Van Damme's The Quest, which yeah. is his also he directed. Yeah, I mean, boy, was that just just complete avarice and and ego just working just just it's. Whew, I saw that in the movie theater and I was like, oh, my God, this guy. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. This it's is, this is tough stuff. This is it he's is really full of he's really full of himself. Oh, my God. Movie. And you can kind of I mean, my favorite movies are when he's kind of playing a little bit more um, humble, like Sudden Death, which we were talking about off mic, which still has the best eye lock in a movie I've ever seen, especially the end with um, Powers Booth as he going backwards in a helicopter. Down the- <laughs> Un believable you know i had written about that like i tweeted out about that and some guy said oh this was it was such a big deal when they shot this movie um i'm trying to remember who it is uh i'm sorry if you're listening um and and he was like they shot it in my neighborhood in in pittsburgh uh where he was from Mm -hmm. and it was a big deal and i was like how did they you know get that helicopter the the city was so accommodating let that helicopter Mm -hmm. go back into the stadium backwards which i thought was all just you know probably done a lot of it is done with model work yeah effects but then he sent me an article where they actually did lift the helicopter from a crane and sort of lower it down into it oh my god yeah and they did allow him to do that which i was like i was completely fucking around with you but in the ux they actually did that and yes it's an unbelievable moment that movie is filled with some incredibly great moments like just uh van damme locking eyes with powers booth as he's going backwards back down is incredible because it lasts for so long and you're just like going oh my god um and I had not seen that. That was one I had not seen and mm. had somehow missed And until recently, until I just saw it, you know, uh, basically researching for this. Mm. And I completely get why people love that one. Oh, me totally too. Totally get it. It's, totally it's, get it. It's a hoot. It's a hoot of the movie. And this is a hoot. It just doesn't go as big as Sudden Death. Like, when you're watching Sudden Death, you're like, how is this movie going as big as it is? I don't understand. I mean, he's fighting a goddamn friggin' mascot in a kitchen, and she's oh, doing round. God. She's doing everything. I'm I'm kind of surprised. It's like watching the Ninja Turtles movie, and you're like, how did they do those kicks in those suits? You're like, how were they doing that in that suit? Jesus Christ! Um, I I said to several people, if she takes that suit off, she wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? She did the her mistake was keeping that mascot uniform off. She takes that mascot uniform off. I think she kicks his ass. Yeah, she really does. He's, He's not supposed to be a martial artist in this. He just no. plays, he's just a firefighter. But yeah, I mean, that movie just had like, and also I'm just, I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it because it's, I love Peter Hyams. Mm. I'd seen Running Scared. I've seen it like a million times. Yes. You know, I love him as a director. He, again, a perfect journeyman director in Sudden Death, but that's not a successful movie. That's not, what's one where he's kind of dipping in in Sudden Death, where he no, did yeah. not have as big a hit. No, the, the mid-90s is fascinating for Van Damme, and this kind of hit fits right in the middle of it, because this came out 94. When did Street Fighter come out? Was that 95 or 90? Um, Street Fighter is after, is the same year. It's in 94 as well. Yes, okay. So, I mean, 90, Street Fighter is notorious for the making of more than anything. Like, you have a dying um, uh, Raul Julia and a completely coked up um, Van Damme. So, yeah. this kind of feels like the height of his ego. when And he, he has, like, an affair with Kylie Minogue. With Kylie Minogue this, and this kind yeah. of thing. So, this is, and you're right, as you said, I think before we recorded or just as we started recording, he was looking for his guy. Van Damme wanted a guy um, that he could make movies with to, like, um, it wasn't John Woo because the studio was too interfering and 
that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't. I think they also didn't get along as well. I don't think Wu yeah. or Doug his. I th- I don't know the. I don't really know the particulars. I think they had very um, different ideas of how they wanted to do the movie. Like Van Damme was very much need, like we need. We need Mike Scott on speed dial. We do. So we can, he can clear this up for exactly. us. Exactly. So, but, what um... was the relationship between Wu and Van Damme? I know. I know. I've heard that because Van Damme was such an egotistical monster on that movie, he actually protected yeah. Wu um, accidentally because he wanted certain things to get through. Um, but I know Raimi was also producer. Sam Raimi was also producer on that movie, going back to Dark Man. Correct. So he yeah. protected him a bit, but there was a conflict. Yeah, we need Mike. Mike, can you after you well, listen to this, can you let me know? <laughs> yeah, please, please correct us. But I, yeah. I did watch on the disc. There is an interview by John with John Woo, but for Hard Target, and he really credits Raimi for protecting him, for yeah, sticking up for him and keeping the studio off of him because they were nervous about that, that being his first, you know, mm. American movie. And they were not sure, you know, that sounds so like a studio to like, let's get yeah. this great guy from Hong Kong who's made all these but incredibly we're gonna successful him to movies death. and then <sighs> question his every move. Yeah. Because um, we're not 100% about him. But like they were the ones that, he, you know, Sam Raimi was the one who basically yeah. like, leave him alone, let him do his thing. And really, mm. he really talks about how much Sam Raimi stood up for him. Does not mention Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I don't know if that's edited out, but... You know, it is some like I, his his takeaway. John Woo's takeaway was Sam Raimi rules from yeah. that experience, and not Jean Claude Van Damme was great. So yeah. take that I, for what it's worth. Yes, he was famously difficult to work with, even on because he was going to be the original Predator and Predator, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. There was something uh, that wasn't completely his fault, um, but the costume just wasn't working, and apparently he was throwing a bit of a hissy fix. I think he, he knew he was going to be fired off the off the movie. Um, so his that, e- that was a good call. I hate yeah, to say was. it because also like he, he would have been so short. Yeah, compared it to just, to compared to um, Schwarzenegger, yeah, it would have been you, what it, you know. You need to have somebody who is that. You have to have somebody who's at least bigger and taller than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like he, obviously, the guy playing Predator wasn't like as muscular as Schwarzenegger, but you need to have somebody who can look bigger and taller and yeah more you can imposing, use all the low angles you want yeah you know on Jean-Claude Van Damme but in that out- uniform but it's they do not they're not he's gonna be way shorter than yeah. Schwarzenegger it was that was never gonna work it was never never gonna work and I know he has a background in dancing as well as martial arts or was he more primary a dancer that then learned martial arts I think he did do dance there you know um I mean obviously if you've seen Kickboxer you know he's got great moves yeah in that scene where he gets he kind of dances with some ladies but even in i think um double impact he plays like a one of the characters he plays in that playing two twins that were separated at birth yes uh he plays like a uh ballet uh instructor who also also can teaches karate and knows karate but yeah um, which I've d- that was a idea for the trailer as well. Um, that was gonna be my Van Damme pick is, is yes. him being in the movie at the same time. Um, it's it's kind of this yeah. So I've always found him fascinating though. It's taken me there's a lot of Van Damme gaps I have. Um, and I know sure. my partner was like, no, you need to see Universal Soldier and you need to see Time Crime. I mean Time Cop, which is a blast of a movie, but it's just kind of in this period of when he probably thought he was untouchable and could do anything he wanted and was maybe not in a great space mentally maybe i don't know anyway there's a lot of cocaine happening i'm guessing there is there is and i do think he's he's trying to find you know watching through some of his other movies and there's still a couple movies i've yet to watch mm-hmm. um of course he he got, he got a lot of his uh, one of his first roles in no retreat no surrender which is yep. a new world pictures movie um then he gets into best cake canon. eating scene ever <laughs> <laughs> yes 
incredible cake eating scene. Just one for the ages. That's yeah. that was our the graphic we used for our um, for our episode because you just it's it's unbelievable. You have to, yeah. I remember friend Serge, you have to see this just... movie. Did not tell yeah. me only thing he said was uh, Van Damme is in this, and then I watched it and I'm like, you did not tell me about the Bruce Lee or the cake eating in, in this movie. Oh, what the hell? That movie. And if you go on, if you watch the other two, mm. No Retreat, No Surrender, two and three, amazing. Just okay. Yeah. Wild movies. Uh, they don't make keep the same guy, but the same screenwriter at least does like two and three. I, I think he writes at least two, maybe directs three. I'm mm. not sure, but he, but he, his, his, his fingerprints are still through it. And, oh, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it, oh my gosh, I think two is fantastic, and yeah. three is just absurd and ridiculous <laughs> and uh, so fun. But they're both like really, really ridiculous. But he he plays a lot of like um, outside once he was away from. The early he oh he's from Belgium so we'll mm. make him play Russians. Yes. Once he's out of that <laughs> element, and he's sort of more into cyborg and kickboxer. Kickboxer mm. really starts to get him into like he's just this young naive kid, but he's doing the best thing for his family and that yeah. kind of stuff. And once he gets into Universal Soldier, there's still a little bit of that, a mm. li- but but obviously couched a little bit more into the sort of RoboCop esque movie that I think it is. <laughs> Um, I think it owes a good debt of gratitude mm. to Robocop, but it, I love Universal Soldier, Soldier. Don't get me wrong. And he uh, and that was a huge success for him. Like that was, I think, one of his big his first biggest could be wrong because I don't know all the figures. But I think that was his first massive success, um, which is interesting when you think about in the 90s. You know, Jean-Claude Van Damme was making all these movies. And um, so, uh, too, was Dolph Lundgren. But Dolph Lundgren's were a lot of straight to video ones. They were. Whereas Jean Claude yes. Van Damme was 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 making movies for the cinema, you know. Mm. So it's interesting that they blew up in this movie together, but then they kind of had similar but alternate career tracks. But regardless, then he, you know, he did uh, Nowhere to Run. He shows up for a second, a last action hero, and he does Hard Target, and that's when he gets to to Time Cop. And I think Hard Target is. You know, obviously, I've gushed about this movie. I love it, but I think that that's where he finally is playing a, a leading man that he feels comfortable with. Because mm. I, outside of the like, hair extensions <laughs> and everything else, like what he's doing is still somewhat similar to Time Cop. He's he, it's very it's sort of close with the difference of having the family and having that kind of thing, which is always always a part of the kind of character persona. I think he liked to play was a guy who's doing something for his family, doing something to, you know either like he's trying to make money for his his brother's family and lionheart or mm. he's trying to get revenge for his brother and kickboxer you know he's always trying to do that kind of thing hard target is probably one of the few roles where he was just like i'm just this badass dude you know i walk <laughs> um, into town and there you are yeah <laughs> just stroll into town and i just take care of shit mm. hoping to get get work on a boat <laughs> um but yeah um where was I going with all this? I don't know. Um, I no, I think no, I think you were making the point of what kind of characters he prefers to play, and I think yeah, um, yeah, Time okay. Cop is very much in the middle of that. Yes, he is the family man because the whole thing is that his wife is pregnant um, before she dies and before then she's saved, and there's a lot of um, time crimey kind of I need to get back to my wife kind of yep. element to it. Um, but he, but he's also that kind of badass because I, he's a, either a soldier or he's a policeman in the beginning before he gets transferred to the time he's a policeman unit. in the beginning and then yeah. he transfers to the the tec 
TC. Um, but he's still got that kind of, I'm a badass from Universal Soldier and um, uh, Hard Target. Um, I still have my half mullet um, back in, in 2004. Yep. So yep. The, the mullet gives me power. So I have the half mullet, not the full. Um, but it's still that very much of the don't mess with me. I, I will only kick your ass if I'm pushed or I will just do a kick and just have your my boot right next to your face to show you that I mean business like at the beginning, which is amazing. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's kind of in that middle of, I realize it's the 90s, so I need to be a kind of an everyman, but I don't want to be an everyman because have you seen the way I do the splits? Um, yeah. I mean, they even yep. make fun of it in this movie. I mean, the way... Well, I will get into Ron Silver, but the way he sort of says, with all mm-hmm. that fancy kicking, it's a wonder you're not on Broadway. I mean, they're already mm-hmm. making fun mm-hmm. of that element already. So it's, um, yeah, he's I kind love of... How Ron Silver says Broadway because he says it like it's two words. Yeah, Broadway. <laughs> Broadway. I'm like, yeah. there's no, we don't say it like that, Ron. What are you talking about? No one says Broadway. <laughs> It's Broadway. It's Broadway. one word. Yes. So but funny. that is that is why we love Ron Silver. But it's... Oh, um, he's so great. Oh, he's so good in this. He's so good. Um, he's so... Oh, God. He... The, the Maybe one of the ultimate 90s sleazebags. Oh, just the way he, like, in, in punches cinema. the guy's wall against the, the fact that... Okay, this is set in 2004 and two, 1994. You get two kind of moments when yeah. you're in the past, but primarily it's those two timelines. When he's in the self-driving car and just kind of pushes the, which the '94 just kept, I just kept giggling at the fact because we haven't got, we're trying, we just haven't got there yet. Yeah, we um, need those cars. We, we need, were promised those cars in 1994 and yes, Time Cop, and we've not gotten them. No, um, and actually, those cars look a hell of a lot like the ones in Upload. I was like, wait, that's the Upload car. Uh, um, yeah, 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 that's a great call. Um, the way he yeah, pushes he hits is, the guy in the car. Yeah. Oh my god! It is just a, such this great moment of you think, oh, he's um, he's just a politician. Yeah, whatever. And then you just see his full colors, and you're just like, oh yes, this is gonna be great. And he has the nosebleed of all nosebleeds. He like gushes blood. He does. The way he, <laughs> it's so <laughs> over the top and great and perfectly yeah. in keeping with his performance. He's it is. amazing in this movie. He, he is wonderful. I mean, I kept. I knew he was the bad guy, but they kept like, um, it makes sense when you realize what he's actually thinking about. Because they're talking about, they're in the Senate committee, they're talking about, yep, we've got time travel, we need to regulate it, we need a police force. Um, We need a police force to make sure people don't steal money. And it just keeps cutting back to Ron Silver just looking out the window, looking out the window. (laughs) And I was like, why are you looking out the window, uh, Ron Silver? What's going on? And then you find out it's because the night before his future self came back, slapped him, which he's constantly slapping people in this movie. Um, Oh, my gosh, yes. I didn't even put that together. That's so great. And then he's like, you see him in the committee going, I'm going to make a shitload of money with this. Yep, yep. (laughs) Because my future self told me that I will. He shoots, Peter Hyam shoots Ron Silver in close-ups so yeah. much in this movie. Almost more than, he's always good with a good close-up, but yeah. he shoots him in close-up more than almost anybody in the movie. Because he, you can just put a camera right on Ron Silver's face. And he's going to give you something interesting. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. This, yeah. It, it, he just, you're just like, what? what is he doing? What is he thinking? You're just, yeah. he has one of those faces. He's got those, it's all in his eyes. And you're just like, what is going on? He's an interesting face. Yeah, he's There's something behind the eyes, and we got to see it, and we don't know what that is. No, you know? it's um, he's so such an asshole in this movie. I mean, there's a moment when <laughs> I think it's his younger self, and some aide is just like going, "Oh, you have a you have an appointment. You need to go here 
like special code. He goes, oh, this is something I need to go to. And he kind of turns around to her and goes, have you ever seen inside of the president's um, limo? She's like, no. He turns around and walks away and goes, I'll send you a picture. I'm like, that is an unnecessary assholery, but I love it. And just like, what's that? <laughs> he is. He is such a dick. He is such um, a dick. Yeah, you think even when in that opening, you know, scene where they're doing the exposition, they're like, they say it's an amazing line. And I'm going to butcher it because I don't I didn't write it down. But mm. he was like, yeah, oh, he's this guy's going to be in charge because Ron Silver jumps up and says, I'll be in charge. Mm. I'll be in charge of the TEC. And he's like, oh, yeah, you'll like him. Uh, the only thing is that his dorsal fin is more prominent than yours, you know, yeah. something to that effect. And he just kind of Ron Silver again in close up, just kind of smiles at that moment mm. and that's not even when he's like the shittiest no because in 10 years he's super shitty he's the worst he's the absolute he's not, worst he's insufferable in 10 years and it's just such a great little moment you're like oh you know re-watching it you're like oh ron knows oh yeah i'm gonna make some money i don't want i'm gonna fucking do with this stuff yeah great it's really such a great moment it is such a great moment and he is so good and just the way he says things the fact that he's always on close up the fact that he first thing he does when he meets his past self saying okay you need you're going to get a call about a committee you need to go this is what's going to happen and you're going to do this he just starts slapping him it's no he doesn't he doesn't because they can't share the same space i'm sorry but he basically um goes to slap him and goes no can't uh share the same space it's which sort of of sets up the ending perfectly of course Um, important moment important moment but he's slapping everyone else like he's really he is such a violent douchebag that not only is he ordering violence, he's like causing violence on other people. And it's, I mean, the way he shoots, um, what's her name? Ruben um, is just amazing. Her arc yeah, is insane. Ruben. Gloria Ruben is insane. Yeah. There's a lot that I didn't remember in rewatching it that, that like so much happens that is like a definitive to a lot of these characters Yeah, where they die off. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't remember that happening so quick. Hmm. which, you know, I guess is pretty dumb of me because, of course, we're going to go back to him because we're going to go back in time. Exactly. So, because, it, <laughs> you know, so again, it does that wonderful thing where we're going to get back to all of that stuff before. Mm. We're going to go back to that mall. We're going to replay that first scene where he meets his wife, Mia Sarah, um, and we're going to see that all again. And he's going to be lurking in the corner like at one of the Hectors. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um but yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize Gloria, when Gloria Rubin pa- pa- uh, showed up. I remember that she was like in on it, but I mm. forgot that she had gotten shot. I forgot I was she like, was oh. in on it. I thought she was a partner for the whole thing because um, I forgot Mia Sarah comes back. Um, actually, right, also, right. my first my first note in this is like, wow, these nineties action movies will fridge a lady just to fridge lady, and then I forgot. No, wait, that's the whole point. He's got to go back and save her to make right, sure that right. this doesn't happen because he's um, basically. What he's doing once he re- realizes kind of Ron Silver is using um, the TL, the, t- the time travel thing to be is his own personal piggy bank. He's kind of like, well, I need to stop this thing from ever happening. I need to stop him from becoming in charge of it. And it also is like uh, becoming a thing where like in this in the 90s in these Jean-Claude Van Damme movies that he's got to have a, a sex scene with his. Yes, he uh, does. With his screen partner. Uh, got to show that buttock. <laughs> that's right. You got you got to give everybody what they need here. Um, and it's amazing that you you know I such a crush on Mia Sarah when I was younger. You know because of not only because of Legend, but then because of Ferris Bueller's Day mm-hmm. Off. And this is the movie she gets naked in. It's 
it's okay. A, okay, yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of, yeah, it's weird. He was kind of the, well, I'm pretty sure the other ones did it as well, but he's the one that really had to show up how how hard he was working on his butt. Like, mm-hmm. um, in in Universal Soldier, that's amazing shot, whereas I think, like, the moon is shining on it, so you just get this glorious kind of thing of, like, <laughs> yes, yes, we realize you have a good butt. We realize you've probably been working a lot at it we we, we mm-hmm. realized this but he was very proud of it and um he was he would get naked very quickly <laughs> he had a nice butt there's he no did. doubt about it yeah but like i don't know this is another question for mike scott but i don't know where this happens but in nowhere to run there's also a scene where you know he has a love scene with rosanna arquette mm. and she gets naked in it and i'm like this one mm. you know it's just what I don't know when did that start. When did he start ha- having a mandatory love scene? And in watching a, an interview uh, for Hard Target, um, uh, Yancey Butler says that there was a love scene that they shot, but they cut it out. So this was a thing. Yeah. You know, this was a thing that had to be in one of his movies. It's fascinating. Yeah, because they yeah, are in a lot weird. of it. There's always yeah. not. Not only does he get maximum naked. risk. There's maximum a, risk. You know, he, he there's a love scene in that. Like he. It was you, you, not in sudden death. Mm-hmm. There's not in that. Well, no, it's because um, he doesn't he's, actually. He's, he's, he's divorced. He's divorced, and he has to save his kids. Um, right. And that little girl is annoying. Like, just yeah. Um, the the other little boy's great, and he's like, "It didn't move, Dad. The place was falling apart." I'm like, <laughs> "Don't tell your kid to stay put, even if the whole thing's falling apart." I mean. Because that's just going to happen. <laughs> I love that little girl, though, because she was in a James L. Brooks film called I'll Do Anything, mm. which was his aborted musical, which oh, I kind I've heard of, of this. love. Yeah. I kind of love that movie. And, yeah. and, it, and she is absolutely, an whole, you know, James L. Brooks will do this, like in Spanglish and other films, where he will write a character who is just really tough to take because they yeah. are just really uh obnoxious and you know it it just really grinds on you and this little girl can grind on you but she Mm. has a couple beautiful moments with nick nolte that are actually really great and even being able to play a a kid that's that obnoxious and and, you know it's got to be difficult for a girl that age but um yeah i mean sudden death she's not meant to be obnoxious she's just a kid who wants to be proud of her father and right her brother was being a dick i mean if my if I if he mm-hmm. managed if he was teasing me about the fact that I couldn't decide between a sprite or a coke, shot water in my face and I spilt the coke with us telling me that my dad is a loser, I would probably run away and get involved in a terrorist plot as well. Um, <laughs> he would leave you no choice. Exactly. You wouldn't have a choice. You, you, would have have a choice. you would have to. That is what happens. That's um, what... <laughs> so it's... I'm nervous for my own kids because they are at that <laughs> oh, could you, age. You've got like an old, your, is it son and little girl or? Uh, yeah, an yeah. older girl and a younger uh, uh, boy. <laughs> just... so, yeah, and they're they're at that perfect age. I got to keep them away from those terrorist plots. Exactly. That's what I have to do. Because you do, because they will get involved somehow and all of a sudden you've got to fight someone in a mascot outfit. Their constant <laughs> rivalry will absolutely, could be could doom us all, could doom yeah. the entire town. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's, I mean, it's just because sometimes I have with precious children on screen, I sometimes get a bit ugh, with them. And I think that's not necessarily her fault. I think it's just, she's a little six year old who has a high pitched voice and she's crying all the time. Um, she, she was making those movies around the same time. They're obviously, yeah. they're, they're dovetailing around cause she doesn't do much else after that in terms of her career. So hmm. she may have had either coming off of that movie and still had elements of that character or maybe there was just elements of her that that's kind of how she was and it fit perfectly in one movie and 
kind of came off a, a little bit more like why is this little girl just a little grinding on my yeah. nerves in another you know but that is james um, l brooks especially when he makes spanglish and tia leone is like the worst person in the yeah. in the world even though but that's kind of the point of it you're just like right. oh yeah 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 he loves having those characters that are like just tough and overbearing people you know yeah. terms of endearment the mom you know like he he kind of likes that's kind of a trope that he likes to you know it, to use it very you know? much is yeah um and getting back to well sudden death yeah i love the fact that this is one movie he can't get naked in because he's meant to be dad so it's just kind of <laughs> like you have to keep your clothes on van damme sorry and, and yep. i realize you're wearing tight pants so we, we're still getting it <laughs> He makes up for later maximum risk. He has a fight in towels in a in a in a bathhouse. Like he 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 finds he finds ways to make sure it happens in other films, <laughs> or even in um, Time Crime when he does his famous splits on the on the kitchen on the kitchen bench. Time and... Cop has not just one split, oh, but has... two splits. Yes, and I, you know I am I completely was like I want to write an article about how much uh, if he does the splits it is a it's a better film unfortunately that has already been written i looked it up and found that there was already an article uh, talking about how popular his movies are based on whether oh, he does the splits, splits or not oh that's cool because someday he doesn't do the splits does he because he's not meant to be a martial artist correct so he's yeah. trying to tone it back a little bit which is which is fascinating it's there like you can kind of really see him kick but you don't see him do his famous split his famous kicks his famous kind of um, tricks yeah. that he will usually use and didn't do as well. Oh, that is fascinating. He, he does one right off the bat in Double Impact because he's teaching, like he's he's doing his ballet class. Yeah. So he immediately does it in that, like right off the bat. Mm. But in this, he finds two ways to do it in the in the middle of a fight, two fights. Yes. He uses it to get out of it, and one of them being absolutely tremendous he's in his underwear yes and does it in order to escape getting electrocuted which is like i mean this movie it's like how can you fight it he does the splits twice exactly this is why it did so well it gave <laughs> the people is, what they wanted why it's a classic exactly double um splits. double splits and the fact that he gets naked and the fact that in one of the things he's in his underwear so it's um and he gets to be the kind of the loving family man that he keeps going for and he gets to be the kind of the badass superhero yep. that he, so it he's kind like a of, hardened guy yeah he gets to play the hardened badass but also the family guy yeah he gets to have it both ways in this movie because there are two versions like double impact there are two versions of yep. van damme running around um yep. one is sort of more the um younger doesn't quite know what's going on has lost his wife turns into badass van damme and badass van damme is the guy who's trying to get back to his wife um though yeah because i was kind of confused at the beginning i'm like so why are they trying to kill him again oh that's because it's ron silver sending guys back to do the thing so he wouldn't yeah okay yep. yeah i'm getting yep. it now again a movie yeah. that kind of reveals itself as it goes on <laughs> yeah i mean the first guy that he goes after is his former partner which is a, is a fact that like once we go to 2004 mm. we don't really know because we don't even know we've jumped 10 years no because the guy, but the guy pulls out a newspaper from 2004 mm. and he's back in the, like the 1920s or thirties or whatever, whenever the wall street crash was. And yeah. so, and that hit, happens to be his partner, which we don't know until Jean-Claude Van Damme shows up and says so. Yeah. And I just want to also point out that that guy was using, if you noticed, he had a, the radio on, he turns the old time radio off mm. and he goes in his bag. He takes out a USA today from 2004, but then 
gets out a mini disc player, which uh, look at Sony getting into a Universal movie with yeah. a mini disc player, which had to have felt like in 1994, the 19, height of technology. Like this is where we're going. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna forget tapes. We're going mini disc player. Mini disc. They have a little, like, almost looks like a cassette box, mm. but it's one of those little square uh, mini disc players that he puts in. And you mm. have a specific player from Sony. And then he listens to the song Sleaze Ball Pull by Fudge Factory Inc., which this <laughs> has to be their biggest their biggest claim to fame. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I look, try to look them up. This is like the only they put out an album at this time. It has the song, and that this is what they use. Yeah, and there's almost no songs in this in this movie. There's no, there any. actually isn't. So, so it's one of the only songs. This, they had to be like, we're we we're, we've done it. Mm. We're in time cop. We're, we've done it. Next next up, the Grammys. No, so much not. Um, no, I actually love that 1929 sequence because when he rocks up and there's just like people just falling off the top of the building, like um just constantly which yes that did happen i don't think it was to that extent like you'd have like three bodies off a building sure, in the same day sure. but and they go oh there's just these poor people because it's you know the crash and everything's going to shit and he just goes shit happens and i'm like wait what <laughs> it's kind of a cool moment because it kind yeah. of pulls you out of the um out of 1929 and the fact that he goes into the office switches off the old-timey radio puts on gets a mini disc player and it's just like oh okay here we go 2004 and i'm like going oh he's reading what the future stocks are going to be and he's making plays on that um and then of course then you find it later the whole movie is actually about campaign financing which just i love um because yeah. in today just today it's even more relevant than maybe it was in 94 93 94 um i think it's probably just more a, a lot more in our consciousness it, it's being talked but, about more than it probably yeah. was yeah um, and, and it was still, I think it was still an issue. Money yeah. was, was, was not a thing at, in that time either uh, in the 90s. Oh, okay. So you got to think too, like the way that things are funded and the way we have tried to shut off a certain amount of corporate money, but also made sure you could still have this dummy corporation that we don't know who runs it, but they can give you any sort of, mm. amount of money for anything. There's been a lot of, you know, yeah, but it made, it's made that, that plot point even more relevant yeah. today. Yeah. You know, uh, and again, obviously, was relevant at the time because they thought, well, that would be something that would happen. And, and now it, it just feels like absolutely that would happen. That's what time travel would be used for. It would not. I mean, we have all these other kind of movies of what time travel would be. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is what it would be. It would be this. Um, but I love the fact that he is so well, out back of... to the future. Like, you know, that whole thing about the world, the, the almanac, almanac yeah, the world series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. But but taken to another degree, you know, and just buying up stocks galore, yes. knowing that they are they cost next next to nothing in terms of you know money from 1994. But yeah, you know, and and just knowing they would enrich themselves like crazy by the time it gets to 2004. You know. But I yeah. love how he's so out of step with that time period. I mean, the first thing when you're in, I think it's the Civil War, when you see the guy with no tooth, you're like, okay, this feels time period right until they bring up the guns he's just not giving a shit he's just like yeah, i yeah. do not like 1929 i'm here to make right. money um and then van damme just suddenly appears and go you're my ex-partner i'm going to arrest you now and you're like hang on a minute what's happening <laughs> it's it's um it's actually pretty well done because i didn't know that we were going to go to 2004 I thought it was um just gonna stay which it does fair enough stay a lot in 1994 but that they do go into it's amazing i love it when movies go into the future but now it's the mm -hmm. past 
So like Demolition Man, which I think is meant to be set in like 2020 something to no 2019, something really close like that. And you're like the great um, fast food wars, like uh, Taco Bell one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or Pizza Hut if you're outside the US, which um, is fascinating if you're watching like a UK cut. Oh, that's interesting. And you just see Sandra Bullock say Taco Bell, but then it's dubbed with Pizza Hut. Um, (laughs) I wonder if they were all still owned by Pepsi at the time. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, so they just went, you know, oh, well, you just, we'll just use another restaurant we own because yes. you don't have Taco Bells in yeah. other places. So we'll just give you Pizza Hut, which you have. Yeah, which is like absolutely fascinating. Or like even Back to the Future 2 when it was set in two, oh God, when was it? Something 2017. I remember when that date was coming up and was like, where are the hoverboards? <laughs> we were promised yeah. hoverboards, God damn it. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that so much when you're seeing the future in the past and you're just like, ah. Oh. That's always like my like little beef with sci-fi movies is just like set it further yeah. in the future. You know what I mean? Uh, just just go f- much further. Like because um, you're trying to even in this movie, they don't do a lot, but they try to show like a little bit how the future is going to be. But did you really think in 10 years we were going to all have self-driving cars that could then just I mean, I don't want to take away your imagination, but maybe just push it a little bit further. I, obviously, they have to keep it only 10 years. Otherwise, you know, he would be too old. But yeah. It, it, but there's a lot of sci-fi movies where they'll be like, oh, well, guys, in 30 years, everything's going to be totally wildly different. And it's like, they, they won't be no. that wildly different. I mean, Blade Runner's a real criminal of this. It's like, it's, again, yeah. um, set kind of thing where we have flying cars. And it's like, no, we can't even get the self-driving car done at the moment. Little <laughs> yeah. one flying. Nobody wants to let go of regular cars. We can't even just say, let's get rid of combustion engines exactly they're they're, you know so that they they're giving out so much uh gas that we 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 shouldn't have for the environment we should be kind of getting rid of that yeah ways for companies to still succeed but getting rid of that so we will stop having such a fight about it exactly we can't we we can't get over all that stuff yeah it's kind of fascinating um because i know i just before this one there's an episode coming out on runaway train we're talking about the same thing about because it was with the general from 1926 and how technology kind of doesn't change i mean it does i mean we've advanced so much but yet at the same time there are certain things that still we still have and that we still cannot let go of no matter how much technology that we have and yeah that is this movie as well it's like but you're looking at it in a way of like going we're not going to be there in 2004 like um i think so but we were we i mean was i don't think even wifi was a thing in 2004 was it or was to the wi-fi um wi-fi they um i had a i know for sure in the late 90s i had a dial up yeah so whether or not we had like routers all in our house around 2003 i don't think so i, I think yeah i think i was I don't still think so i think we still had like kind of dial up yeah or direct like direct lines to direct... your computer so you know like because dlsr was still like a huge deal like i'm at oh this is an even better direct connection so yeah. it's more about that than having every and if you you maybe could have a wi-fi but that would be like somewhere at work maybe or somewhere that could afford to have it was that kind it of... was very expensive because i think i definitely had still had a uh, connection thing connection to in 2004 so um it's kind of i always love watching those movies to sort of see where they think technology was going but where it actually went um i think is absolutely like in the 80s it was all robots robots were going to be what the future was and it's not we live in much more how we communicate like yeah wi-fi and um which australians call it wifi um 
I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, I, um, I use a, yeah, um, and it's kind of this weird thing. And then you're sort of watching this. I'm like, actually, no, it's kind of close, you know, dodgy ways to fund your political ambitions because it's getting just so expensive. Um, and also the more money you have, the less you have to rely on policy. Um, and that part is still very true. That is still very true. Um, and kind of the self-driving cars were definitely a thing that were being discussed. We still haven't gotten there yet because we haven't gotten there yet. And it's good, but no, it's just fascinating. I love their 2004. You don't get that much of a close look at it. Um, it's cause you're sort of more in the facility, but I love the fact that they're in a car like they do a back to the future speed thing and then they try time travel and just kind of fall out of the sky. It's kind of, um, no, I like all that stuff in it, but I do like looking at their 2004. It's fascinating. <laughs> where, where it's cause like it, when you did back to the future, you drove the, the car, but you would go to the future, but you would still have the car. Yeah. The car's not there. I always wonder what happens to the car. Like what happens? They're it just disappears. Little, yeah. I don't know if it's a car per se. It's like this little, but it's kind of like, a, it seems like an engine. Cause they have to like propel you. Yes and towards a wall why do they have to prepare propel you towards a wall why I, do they need the wall there what no, is that for no because everything disappears once yeah they, i mean why do they need to skip frighten you with a wall that just in case this doesn't go bad you're going to smash into a wall at high speeds why even need that yeah and then once they get to the, wherever they're going the car's gone <laughs> where does that go do you come back in the car i don't it's very strange how that but i love the look of it even though it's dated technology but I love the look of it where like the screen sort of like it looks like it, there's like a tear in the screen and kind of like out of it pops like Jean-Claude Van Damme or something, yes. you know, like, yeah, I love that little like it's I there's something about it that I just it's really satisfying to me. And I know it's a kind of a little dated technology, but I love it. I think it looks so neat when he pops in that office in 1929. It just, you know, I, I love the way that that looks now. It's 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 like akin to like dr strange doing that little you know spark circle yes and then we can come in and out and it looks way better now we can do it so much better but there's something satisfying about that literal terror of the space-time continuum in and order just to have walking him pop through into it. or falling yeah. out or kind of whatever no it does it's a very cool looking movie which again i love how it goes um cinematography peter hyams and then you go through the rest directed by peter hyams um, yeah. I love the fact that he's his own DP because um, he always has a very specific idea of how he wants his movies to look. And this one looks really cool. It's really kind of um, clear and crisp. It's um, very solid, as we keep saying. You miss these sort of solid movies. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't do more than it needs to, um, even though it can be so gloriously dumb at times that I'm just like giggling oh, with glee. So dumb. Oh. It can be so dumb. That big kick that he does to the guy who's, of course, rollerblading through the mall to steal a purse. <laughs> I mean, that kick with him, like, it's an impressive kick. But to your point, it's not necessary. Super dumb. And it's just to show off, like, look at this amazing kick. It's it's completely ego that is the reason we have that moment. It's just stupid. But Oh, yeah. But, but I love it. I love it, you know? Oh, and me too. I love there are so many moments when it's just pure ego. I mean, even though it looks cool and it's functional because he's getting away from the uh, the water the, with the electricity, but the splits on top of the bench is such a um, ego-driven moment as well. I mean, that's kind of what I'm starting to love about uh, Van, uh, Van Damme movies is that um, they are, a lot of it is ego, but a lot of it, I that is kind of what I keep going back to the movies for because it just... Um, even Hard Target, which is 
more a a Wu movie than it is a Van Damme movie. For sure. But you can still see those little Van, um, like, just, I don't know, he's got this presence that's all ego, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to watch and see what you do, because it's going to be ridiculous um, and silly, but I'm I'm going to watch it. Well, what um, Wu says on the disc about Hard Target is that he said, I know how... He said, I knew I didn't he I think Van Damme was somebody he 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 was sort of given, I think. Mm. And he was like, I but I know how to make you look like a hero. Yeah, because he had worked with Chow Yun-Fat and Chow Yun-Fat, fa- fa- fantastic actor, but he was not an action star. He no, had not he looks, done action scenes. As much as I love Chow Yun-Fat um, and I have definitely I think he is when he's in a woo movie, he's the sexiest man on earth. But when you see him normally, sure. he's just a normal dude. It's not he's a normal dude, he, but yeah. he knows how to shoot him to make him. Yeah. Yeah. And John Woo is like, I can shoot you to make you look like a hero. And the amount of hero shots in Hard Target, and it isn't just him, like everybody gets hero shots. It's crazy. But the amount of hero shots he gives of like, even you've introduced Van Damme several times and Yancey Butler's driving away from the pier and there's all these like, you know, carrying these, all these like, you know, we're carrying all these boxes and all these trucks. And then we slow down as they sort of all move the boxes and reveal Van Damme in front of her car again. All these little hero shots that he just made him look like, hell yeah, look at this badass dude. You oh, know? when he cocks his leg, like he does like the gun move, like in a Western, but it's for his leg. It's just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, though Van Damme is not that subtle. Van Damme wants, if he's going to do like a hero moment, it's going to be a split move. It's going to be showing you what he can do physically. Not yep. him walking in right. to a diner with to the camera behind his back and you just into the hat the mullet is his cowboy hat it's not going to be that kind of stuff it's going to be i'm in a mall and i'm going to stop a rollerblader just by the power of my um yeah straight kick and by lifting my leg above my head and stopping a guy's motion or yeah leaping up off the floor into a splits on my kitchen counter yeah you know it's those kinds of moments um because you know like we we're saying himes is so good and so good at, at shooting action but i don't think you could look at a movie and go this is peter himes you know Mm. like it it isn't he doesn't have the visual style that's so so uh, obvious Mm. is what i kind of mean like he's he's a working class director he's giving you what you need i mean i think you can definitely look through his films and see that he shoots things a certain way and everything Mm. but i just mean like he didn't have such a woo like visual style oh no like oh yeah this is a himes joint for sure you know like it's not he didn't have he doesn't have that kind of thing. He's not trying to do those kinds of moments or manipulate uh, scenes in certain ways. He's trying to give you like, you know, bread and butter, like, let's give you the goods of these scenes, what we need, what we want to get out of them. Mm. And, you know, he's very workmanlike in the way he's, he's shooting this. Very movie. workmanlike. For me, he sort of sits in between a Albert Pion and kind of like a Steve Miner or a Jay Lee Thompson. And, oh yeah, great call, J. Lee Thompson. Absolutely. Um, who's a very um, working class workman like director who's just going to give you what he what this kind of scene needs. Same with Steve Miner, um, but there's a little bit of a flair in just the way he will shoot things, just because he is controlling the camera. Um, and but it's not like completely like Albert Pion when he's giving you full blown weird ass imagination, or sure. it's like Wu sure. who's like giving you these master shots of just perfection he's kind of more toward jaylee thompson but just kind of somewhere in the middle for me where you can kind of tell he's thinking about how he wants to shoot it how he wants to present it how he wants to um, convey certain images 
but at the same time is like, okay, I need to also get this done. I need to show, convey these five things. Let's do this. So that's kind of where I've always seen him for me. Uh, yeah, I think he likes to have a little bit of big spectacle at some at yes. points, you know, certainly it's got to be somewhat inherent to the story, but the, like the helicopter going down a sudden death, um, <laughs> you, you know, the, you have the big uh, action scenes at the end of running scared where they're, mm. you know, going up in the elevators and they're shooting all the guys and they're dumping the Coke and you have sort of like a, it's bigger. It looks, yes. you know, bigger, bigger than um, it needs time. to be, but it's great. Yeah. He has a couple, he has the scene in the warehouse in 1994 when they go back with Gloria Rubin and, and mm. Jean-Claude Van Damme and this, where they have the big fight scenes, big shootout action scene in a warehouse. It's that's like pure Himes. It's, yeah. it's perfect. It's great. It's great stuff. Really great action stuff. And like he had that kind of stuff down, but yeah, yeah. he wasn't going to like overwhelm you with his visual style. And I don't think he was someone like Pune who, who was like, well, if I do a couple, like a, a couple action sequences that are just, you know, balls to the wall that you'll walk away remembering those and not maybe how cheap, certain scenes yes. might have been because they didn't have a lot of money you know mm. like he knew he where was... to spend his money yeah exactly yeah. right exactly um but uh erica brought up a question about this because she she was saying because i watch hard target i watched this and she was like she thought that uh, jean-claude van damme is at his handsomest when his hair is just a little long and he's slightly unshaven she was like i think she's like i think that's where he's at his most attractive when his hair is cut really short and all that she's like not in not into it I think I prefer him a bit longer haired. Yeah, I was kind of happy to see the half mullet. Um, I think. Yeah, I because I don't think she'd like the full mullet. Because I'm no. like, do you, do you like hard target? She's like, no, I, not that. Just a little. Sh she want, liked him shaggy. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's a little bit of shaggy, and he wasn't usually an actor that would be shaggy, even in Hard Target, where it's got because it's so long and so luxurious. Those um, uh, attachments are so luxurious that he just kind of looks like this otherworldly creature, and it's like mm, not quite that. Um, but right. he was usually he looks quite... like he's dripping with sweat. He those... really does. Um... <laughs> They're constantly wet. It just looks like he, I mean, it's New Orleans. He's probably very it's, sticky and, he's and very sweaty. He, but... Exactly. And he's got these friggin' he heavy hair thingies and it's just, uh, would have been so hard to sort of wear. And that long jacket, I mean, that man oh, would have reeked. So hot. Oh. He reeked. He smelled um, so bad. You know he smelled. His character smelled. It's totally smelled. Um, and then you've. <laughs> He's, but he's usually very short-haired, very shaven, very clean-cut. And to have right. him in Time Cop, when he's got the kind of the, the half mullet, he's a little bit shaggy, he's a little bit um, shaved. Yeah, I, I agree with Erica. This is kind of the mode I like him in. He's not completely perfect. He's got a little bit of a bruiser look to him, which I like. Yeah, because he is like a guy that clearly like shaves his whole body hair off. Oh, yeah. So he can look as slick and sleek as possible. Mm. Because you can't tell me that guy doesn't have like an arm hair or a leg hair. Yeah. Or any chest hair. Like you, he, but he just makes sure he is like a dolphin. Yes. You know, when he, he gets waxed rig This is a man who waxes reg reg wax yeah. regularly. So that he got has that. a wax person. Yes. Several probably wax people that he goes to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Dolph Lundgren. When you look at him and you realize that man has no hair on his body, you're just like, ah, also has a wax person. Um,. <laughs> It's kind of weird when you're looking at these kind of guys and they have no hair. I'm like, mm, Sylvester Stallone, I'm pretty much sure is hairier than he appears in Rambo. Oh, um, for sure. Especially yeah. the sequels. Um, so it's kind of fascinating. I mean, I know when you're a, a cyclist at a higher level, you need to shave your legs. And a swimmer, you need to shave because you sure. want less friction. These guys, I'm just like going, oh, this is pure vanity. This is like hair on a man doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. 
the, the flip side of that is like Chuck Norris, who was like, I'm just extremely hairy and uh, yes. fuck it. You yeah. know, that's who, I, that's who I am. It's a farce. With it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's fascinating. And it's a fascinating... The 90s was a, such a fascinating time for action because I think you're right. It it's changing from this uber steroid-esque kind of body. I'm 6'5 and built like, a, um, like about the size of a barn. It's sort of more leaner, sort of more trying to be the everyman, though a lot of these actors did not want to be everyman. They wanted to be still the or superheroes. You know, it wasn't, yeah, they couldn't. And it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't uh, how they brought up. I mean, Stallone was a heavies in 70s movies. That's where he got to start. You know, yeah. Know, 2000. Exactly, and, yeah. You know, that those kinds of movies where he just played these sort of like hard, you know, a lot of times Italian, you know, just tough guys. So for him to sort of try to be just an every dude, he had set his whole look at Cobra. He's not trying to play an every man. No, he's, you know, like he's it's Marion it's Marion Cobra. I mean, this is a man who snips his pizza and um has chases death cults. Um, right. Yeah. It's... I mean, Bruce Willis makes his his like his uh, image is cemented by Die Hard. It is. For good or bad. And, yeah. and Stallone already had their images cemented mm. years earlier. And then they have to switch in the 90s, mm. you know? So I, I, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, that's, but I become such a huge Jean-Claude Van Damme devotee. Like mm. I love the guy now and I love a lot of his movies. Mm. This is still, and still is uh, one of my absolute favorites of his. It's just a really so. I keep saying the word solid, and which is weird because this is, movie is ridiculous. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. It's so over the top in the right. but in the best ways. Um, but it is just super solid. It has a really strong foundation though. So when it goes big, it's just delightful. I mean, yes, I will have. I love the way that uh, Ron Silver delivers every single line. It is a masterclass in bad guy acting. It's oh um, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> He, and like he is like you know you need a good for a good action movie you need a good bad bad guy you like, really do you know. mm. sudden death i think one when everybody was you know tweeting at me and being like sudden death is the best you know i got so many likes for that saying i was watching it mm. and, and it's just and i get it because you watch it and like powers booth is he owns that movie he's, he's just absolutely he is tremendous that movie he is so again amazing asshole and he would just shoot you i love the fact that this is a guy who would shoot that little girl. I don't, the movie doesn't because the movie can't let him cross that line right. um, to be that much of a bad guy. But, you know, he's looking there going, I could just shoot you on the head and I would just, oh. and then drink a, a, have a whiskey. It'd be fine. He, sh he should have. Yeah, he should have. Um, um, serves you right for getting involved in a terrorist. Well, um, she's getting involved in a terrorist plot. I mean, you know. Yeah, things uh, happen when that happens. But, but you need a great villain. And, and for this one, like, Ron Silver is just great. He's also a great villain if you've seen um, Blue Steel. That was another possible like, trailer just because oh, he's enough, so good. Just, oh, God, he's such a creep. And he's just, you know, screws over a Jamie Lee Curtis, but also is obsessed with her and then starts dating her. It just because he, he could be charming. He could be charming, but he could also just be, you know, a, you know evil, like yes. a, just a switch of a, of a finger. And it's just uh, it's just incredible. He's so good in this. You know, little scene chew, uh, little scene chewing going on, but I love it. Um, and he, uh, that that little he has the same sort of beard that John Claude Van Damme has, which was kind of what he did for all of the '90s, pretty much. He did <laughs> every movie he did. <laughs> he had that little, uh, you know, just short, very short, sort of a Don Johnsony, but for the '90s uh, yes. kind of beard. 
Whereas Don Johnson would sort of maybe let it go down the neck just a little, but, mm. but you know, but it, a little bit longer than Don Johnson, but he had that look. Yeah. Um, he said he has a great line where he says, never interrupt me while I'm talking to myself. Yes. That line. <laughs> it's so such funny. a great line. <laughs> so funny. Um, love the way he says Broadway mm. in two words. Oh, it's he terrific. goes, uh, yeah. And he's telling himself how much an idiot he is. Um, and the fact that younger him messes it, messes the whole thing up, I think is glorious. Like the fact that he shows up, um, I think is absolutely, um, brilliant. And the fact that he goes, can you just lay off with, is it the cannoli or something? I can't remember what he says. Yeah, I'm butchering yeah, the line, but he tells yeah. him stop to. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I also love that, you know, when we get a big end fight, which, you know, it's an action movie, we're going to have a big end fight, especially when you have somebody like Jean-Claude Van Damme, who's, yeah. you know, putting his leg up in a kick above his head to start mm. the film you know we're gonna have a big fight and we don't fight ron silver in an in, a, in an action way because well, why would we yeah we ron silver is a great villain but you don't we're not gonna go fist to cuffs with ron silver but instead we have these two uh just crazy like they came out of central casting bad european villains that are walking that somehow walk through a hospital without everybody just turning their heads going what's up with these two european bad guys right here because exactly they both have two different kinds of ponytails yes because if you're one's a european a, bad guy you need a ponytail <laughs> yeah you have to have a pony you have to one's in a suit with a ponytail and he's kind of balding the other guy's long hair shaved on the sides and his ponytail is also long like the rest of his hair mm. he kind of just has a shorter ponytail to kind of blend in with it's almost unnecessary you don't need to pull no. some of it into a ponytail it's all you're wearing it all long anyway yeah but uh and he's got like these like metal braces or something on his like <laughs> on his calves yeah and he's wearing boots it just looks like you guys he's wearing a long trench coat it's like you're obviously villains you yes. couldn't you can't walk anywhere that's not the fashion of 2004 you're just <laughs> villains you're just bad guys you know you yeah it's um it's kind of incredible but it works because ron silver fighting van damme would not work i mean there have been a few kind of um i think it's in john wick the last guy he fights as much as i love that first movie i'm like that guy's never gonna be john wick Are you serious right um and to have him not fight ron silver at the end i think is smart because it would never be a fair fight there's no way that ron silver's even going to match up toward van damme so having him uh think just push him in toward himself so they share the same space and they just kind of merge and implode i think was a really smart choice because it kind of again brings something back that they've mentioned before is that you cannot share the same space yeah, and then I think that that is a much smarter, makes uh, Van Damme look like a smarter hero because he's using mm-hmm. some of that. He also gets to use the Broadway reference right back at, uh, spit it right back at him yeah. um, before he's doing his kicks. Um, and even though when the Ron Silvers combine and they create a Ron Silver puddle, yeah, it, it looks very bad and doesn't hold up, but no. I don't care. No. I don't care. It's a great death. They combine and come together as bodies in, in ways that do not look like anything. Um, but I don't care. I was completely, I was completely like, I love this. This is amazing. It's so much fun. It just works. You're just sitting there grinning from ear to ear, having a good time, and that's all you need from this movie. I mean, sometimes it will pick up things and drop things. Sometimes Van Damme will just change the rules of time travel because he can, and sometimes it will do a callback, and it just because everything else is happening in the movie you don't worry about those details so it's just like yay look at him kick 
Yeah, I mean, I think what they did, what they really succeeded and why people like this, I mean, we've talked a lot about time travel movies and I think people love the idea of time travel. Um, I've written some things that deal with time travel too mm. myself and I just love, you know, it's a it's a fun sandbox to play in, the ideas of being able to go back and forth in time. And I think what they did so well in this is they set up this cool sandbox um, for the film. You know, yes. the fact that there's a guy that goes through just the name. The name is great. Time Cop, of course, mm. is based on um, like a, a graphic novel, I think, mm. graphic novel series from Dark Horse, I think. But it's, uh, you know, so so they so it's already been set up. But they do such a great job of setting up that world that we've got these people and they're cops. And, you know, I love the way that he keeps coming back and things have shifted a little bit. Mm. It's like the hippie guy. Then the computer is now like like you know, wears a suit and doesn't like to be called by a nickname. You know, you, you have these little touches that happen that, that change. It's such a neat, there's not a lot of neat little details like that, that happen, um, which made me always want a sequel though We didn't quite get one until years later. And I have to ask, did, did you see time cop two? No, I didn't. I, when I was looking up sort of things, I did see there was a time cop two, but it wasn't until like 2016 or even a few years ago or something weird like that. J. Michael White was in it or something? Uh, no, it is um, it, it is uh, Jason Scott Lee. Ah, yeah. And it is called Time Cop 2, The Berlin Decision. <laughs> because it starts with a moment where they talk about in the movie where, like, would you go back and kill Hitler mm. if you knew you can do time travel? So for this, I bought the DVD for <gasps> Time Cop 2. <laughs> And I gave it a watch. Oh my god! It's, it's directed by Steve Boyum, who everybody knows from Meet the Deedles. Yes, everyone's favorite. Um, and it's written by Gary Scott Thompson, who actually wrote the initial The Fast and the Furious. Oh wow! Uh, so actually, it's not bad. It's <laughs> a 2003, so we're almost at 2004. Okay. Yeah, but uh, and it's in 2025, so it's a mm. different time cop. Jason Scott Lee. Thomas Ian Griffith is the bad guy in it, but he is part of a new group called Society for Historical Accuracy or Authenticity. Yeah. And they were there to kind of make sure the time cops kept history as it was supposed to be. Oh, uh, yeah. So the I very mean, ber beginning Berlin decision is a decision of where they're back in time to kill Hitler. Yes. And they definitely go for it in this sequel in terms of going and hopping around in different time periods. Now, they're obviously all using Universal Studio backlot sets. It's <laughs> very obvious. Yeah. So it doesn't look so great. Um, it's funny they have they don't do anything in terms of the like as I was talking about sort of blipping into time and the yeah. way they, they stretch the screen. It looks the same. It clearly that technology was very easy to duplicate, though they don't quite have the like actual little uh looks like a, a spaceship pod that okay that yeah Junkron van dam they kind of sit in a seat like that and mm. then sort of like blur the screen as if they are like being propelled somewhere yep. and they also have like a doctor who comes up and gives them a shot and there's a lot mm. of elements so they get deeper into it where it's like you can't do too many jumps in a day and mm. you know all this they start to build out a world a little bit more in it um and it also deals with like a uh an issue where thomas Ian griffith who is the bad guy Ultimately, but his, he's only a bad guy because he believes it's our moral obligation to change the past if we had the ability. Oh, so if you could go back and kill Hitler, you should, you regardless should. of what the consequences could be of that decision. 
if it would be worse than what happened. Um, right. Yeah. Which they talk about in Time Cop and say, we shouldn't do that. Mm. And yet, most of the movie is about him changing time. Exactly. his wife alive. That's kind of the thing. Yeah, it's like... He does. He does. And, and everything's fine. Like, I love the end of this movie when he sort of rocks up home, his wife is alive, and they had the baby that she was about to tell him about. He uh-huh. has no memory of this. Like, he's looking like, I have a right. kid? <laughs> it's just right. like... He doesn't remember him at all. And he's got to just pretend. Yeah. You know? You know, I, I, I have no memory of this 10-year-old, which is fascinating because I was sort of, my partner sort of came home halfway through and he's like, you're watching Time Cop? I'm like, yes. He could have sat down and sort of watched it with me. And I'm like, wait, so he doesn't remember his kid. And he's like, you know, it could be a delayed reaction. He may wake up tomorrow morning and rem- the memories would come back. And I'm like, oh, you've seen a lot of time travel movies. Um, It's kind of, but it's, it's a weird. It's also interesting that his eight-year-old kid or not, or sorry, nine, mm. 10-year-old kid, my son's eight. I'm up. He's if he runs in and jumps up and I pick him up, like that's not happening anymore. <laughs> I mean, that used to happen. Yeah, when he was like now five. Was like, now it's like holy shit, man. You know, you're, you're becoming a little. Yeah. You know, you're being a little. Uh, my my eleven year old daughter. For, no, forget it. I'm not. I can't pick you up and hold you around, wield you around like a baby. You're like she's like five three or something now. It's insane. <laughs> I can't do that. No, it's kind of weird how they always do that. Um, they always have that moment when the kid's always just a touch too old to do that in a yeah. movie. It's like yeah. he's ten. Really, he's good. You're gonna he's gonna jump up and not hurt him. Even John Clavey down, we were like, "Whoa, that's a that's a lot of kid." Just in and terms he doesn't, of, my son doesn't even ask to do that. No, he doesn't. He's like, "Oh, hooray!" Sees me and jumps up in my arm. Like he doesn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, he can be happy to see me, but it doesn't. That was when he was a kid. When a yeah. little kid, he would do that. But yeah, it, anyway, it's it's still uh i love that moment it's still mm. great that he's you know he gets that moment but of course that's what the second movie is all about is that you shouldn't have had the happy ending you get in the first one shouldn't have happened essentially yeah. and uh in this jason scott lee's dad has been killed by thomas Ian griffith and so he doesn't particularly go back and change it though he wants to because mm. it's his dad so it plays a lot with those ideas and again, uh, has a lot of the same, the good elements. No matter can, no matter can occupy, the, uh, occupy mm. the same space. That comes back. Um, returning from time travel, he keeps coming back, has to keep going back out because every time he comes back, everything's changed. Like and in the first one. Coming, yeah. And some characters are gone now. The oh. doctor disappears for a bit, comes back. So it's like they're playing with that idea a lot. Um, the focus on the ethics of changing the past, uh, you know, all that. So it actually is not bad. I'll have to give it a watch because, yeah, Van Damme is like, you know, you're not meant to change the past. He goes in and just completely changes everything, which is yeah. meant he, he yeah. makes his own rules when it comes to time travel, but he can get away with it because he's Van Damme. Um, yeah. He's the kind of guy that can walk into a situation and just change the rules of time travel. I'm like, yeah, fine, I buy it. Um, though I do, and I do like the fact that every time he comes back, it does change. Like Bruce McGill's like, you sure we're best friends? Like, <laughs> yeah. you sure? Why am I, he's, he keeps going, why am I doing all this for you? I don't even know you. He's like, and all Van Degas like, no, we're best friends. You will help me. Just go on, go do it. Um, which I do like how everyone who dies at the end of the movie, except for Silver comes back. It's, it, that's quite nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has that in the sequel as well. Like there's definitely like, again, if you start really thinking, through wait how does this work then i mean there's you're gonna find lots of little errors and certainly in the second one Mm -hmm. you have to take the second one a lot going this is a direct-to-video movie from the early 2000s 
Jason Scott Lee, I actually, I kind of like. I think he's very good. Mm. Thomas Ian Griffith is a serviceable, decent villain. Yeah. Um, who's kind of not really so much a villain as much as he's just, you know. Misguided. Yeah, he's just sort of on moral opposites of the hero, essentially. Mm. So, you know. But, you know, as long as you can get through some of those elements and just know it's it, it doesn't even have a part of the original's budget, you know, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. Not a bad little watch. And I just think it it, it just shows that, like, uh, the fact that I watched it and could enjoy that is the fact that the first time cop sets up a really cool world that I really wanted to come back to. It really does. I mean, when you sort of said, I forgot this, I, th- I don't know if I knew, knew this, uh, the fact that it's based on a comic book makes sense because the world is really well done. Um, mm-hmm. I do like how it is just, you know, it's pretty fully formed by the time you get into the movie, which makes, if they're adapting it from a comic book, that makes sense. Um, and I do like in how this one, it's about pure greed, time travel but in the sequel it sounds like it's more about um point of view like okay if we had the chance to kill Hitler we should um but actually if you mess with the past things are going to change mm-hmm. um, which is always a big thing it, the two big things about time travel movies is that what happens if you change things and also um the uh fact that it's never going to completely work structure wise because there's always going to be these few things of like hang on a minute how many hectares were there or hang on, wait, mm-hmm. Dam is doing this, but wouldn't that change everything? No, apparently it changes everything for the, he's like in Time Cop, it's like, no, I found the good timeline again. We're, we're on the, we're on the good timeline. Right. <laughs> as long as it works for our hero that he changes time forever, we're yes. okay with it. Yes. You know? Yes. It hasn't and he, turned, and, and it made Gloria Rubin come back. And she's obviously and... a good person now. She's not working for, um, right. For Ron Silver, so because he never he he never became the com- the committee head, <laughs> right? He he wasn't president or about to become president yes. in two thousand four, so mm. she's not a bad lady, I guess. Mm. But wouldn't she be corrupted by someone else? Yeah, well, I that's... guess not because he's not now in charge of the TEC. The TEC is in charge by somebody else. I I guess at that point, there's got to be somebody yeah. else in charge of it. Because I keep forgetting to notice who the logo was every time he came back because it changed. A couple yeah. of times um, of who actually was running it, and I've got to look at the logo. Okay, I keep forgetting to look at the logo, but yeah, the the, the subtle changes throughout are really really fascinating. Um, but yeah, I'm like Gloria Rubin wasn't like, oh, I'm have your family hostage, so you need to do what I say. It's so it's literally, I will give you money, and then the way she's double crossed is, I don't want to give you money. It's not like. <laughs> It's not that like money any... we discussed. I would never give to you. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly like um, oh, I've got your family hostage now. You need to do what I say. So she's more sympathetic. It's like no, I'm just going to give you a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I, he kind of makes a really nice joke about the guy that she hooked up with. But I'm like, but she is somebody who's corruptible. She. Whether she's not was not corrupted by Ron Silver, she is a corruptible person. I would yes. actually keep an eye on that girl. Me too. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. Not be like, hey, Pally, even though we don't know each other anymore, but you know, I know um, a little something about you, you old so and so. It's like, yes. no, you should you should actually keep an eye on her because she she just needs to be shown a little money by someone in yes. a position of power and she will do whatever. Yes. It's not exactly like she's she's kind of treated like a sympathetic character by the rules of the movie yet she's done nothing to deserve this and it's kind of like nothing nothing and she's like yeah i'll testify against him because he shot me not because of any kind of 
and I didn't get my money, not because of any moral implica implications of what he's doing. She's a fascinating character, and just the way she's kind of treated throughout the movie, I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, is it because she was from ER? And then I was like, well, no, because she actually doesn't even do ER yet. She mm. she goes from Time Cop to ER. She wasn't doing ER at the time. So yes, this is not like we were like, oh, our old pal Gloria Rubin from ER. Like, no, she wasn't in doing that yet. No, she, she wasn't. She wasn't actually. Was she in first season ER, or was it a couple of seasons later? I think she came in later on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of fascinating. It's like we're setting up this really complex character, but we're not going to do anything with her because we just don't have time to really delve into someone who can flip-flop between sides depending on what's good for her at that particular moment. Um, it's a fascinating character. I kind of wish they maybe broadened her out a little bit more. Um, but at the end, it's just like, oh, hey, sure. I like you. And it's like, mm, she's going to flip on you in about two seconds. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, for like a quarter. Yeah. I mean, and, and she's also interesting in that she was uh, she's really an internal affairs agent. Yeah. But then becomes a member of TEC, I guess, and then goes with him so she can, I guess, help him, but also investigate him. I, and then it's, she's crooked. So there's a lot, like she's a mess in general. Like, she is. She's a lot she's going on. She's suspect in many ways. She's yes. also somebody, you know, when internal affairs shows up, you're always like, okay, can't trust that person. And then you shouldn't have trusted her because she's also working for the bad guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she, she, she was pretty great. Um, also just to jump back to the ending, I loved the big, I love a big contrived, the bomb is ticking down slowly, Oh but, yes. but also should have gone off in several points in the ending, but it didn't cause it's like slow down. <laughs> and he does a great job of keeping cutting back this canister too of C4, which mm looks like they grabbed one of those canisters from one of those drive through uh, banks uh, ones back <laughs> yeah. in the day when you used to have to worry about doing checks mm. and you would just have this thing that would go through this big tube and go back to the teller. Uh, <laughs> it looks like one of those that they just like switch into place, just kind of yeah. like screw it together and then press a button in five minutes. Like I just, uh, I loved everything about that. There's so this fight. There's so much going on. There's so many fighting going on. There's so much happening in five minutes. Then by the time it's ticking down to the final minutes, he's like carrying Mia Sarah down several flights of yes. stairs. So he gets outside. I'm like, this should have gone off so long ago. I do love so a countdown ago. that so much happens in it. You're like, this is more than five minutes. Um, it's also the entire exchange with the Ron Silvers happens during this moment. Yes. It starts going off. It should have gone off when Ron Silver shows up. He has arguments with himself while yes. this thing's ticking down. Yes. I'm like, what? How much stuff has to happen during this? Oh, I loved it though. I loved it. I love, you know, that can bother me sometimes in movies where you're like, well, this thing should have gone off, but I just loved it. I adored it here. No, me too. I think it works. Like I kept, and the fact that he keeps reminding you that there's a ticking clock is great because you forget because there's so much happening. You go, okay, yep, the other Ron Silver's turned up. Okay, he's fighting the two bad guys. Yeah, Mia Sarah's been shot um, in the shoulder. Okay, cool, all that. And then he keeps going back to the clock and you're like, hang on a minute, this is five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's like too much happens. Too much yeah. happens in five minutes. Uh, yeah. You know, five minutes can go by like that. It's, it can. It's not that long of time. Uh, should have said 15 minutes and I could have been like, oh, sure. All this stuff can happen in 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, oh, it's like we're recording. I'm sort of downstairs going, oh, yeah, I got 15 minutes. I look at the clock. I'm like, oh, no, wait, it is actually eight o'clock. Okay. 
I'm <laughs> so yeah, yeah, a lot can I'm, happen. A lot can happen. Yeah, <laughs> five minutes goes by way faster than you think. It's, it it's, really does. Yeah, I loved no. it. I love those ticking clock moments. It's terrific. It, when done well, it's perfect. And even though uh, Hyams feels like a very sturdy director, he kind of knows when to have fun with something, and he does that constantly. Yeah. He knows when to go big. He knows when to go stupid. He knows when to kind of yeah. calm things down when it needs to be calm. Um, and yeah, this again, just a really solid, fun movie where you're just giggling at the stupidness of it sometimes, but then yeah. giggling at the, how good the action is, or then giggling at something that Ron Silver's just said. I don't know. It's just, it's not a comedy, but you just get excited by it. So you're just giggling a lot. Yeah. I think it's a great point. I think Himes in this and sudden death, he's having fun. He is, you know, um, you watch running scared. He's having fun. His best stuff. Uh, one of his debuts, Busting, uh, mm. he's having fun. He he can f- create a fun and action-packed experience. He can. He was very good at doing it. And it's real easy to like a lot of his movies. He doesn't always succeed, but when he does, it's just such a blast, you know? And this one is one of those that I just think is, you know, it's one of my top tier, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. It's just something about it that I just, I love. And it, you're right it's got a lot of dumb stuff in it there's no doubt about it Mm. and a lot of that dumb stuff is what endears me to this movie exactly um a movie can be dumb and i'm not saying dumb as a criticism i'm saying dumb because this is a man who has a half mullet who's going around changing time there's some lines in it that are ridiculous (laughs) the fact that he lifts his head to the top of his over his head to show him how well he can kick is such a just a dumb moment but i'm grinning ear to ear because i'm like going this is awesome this is what i want from my tom cop movie <laughs> yeah exactly it delivers it, it delivers. really does um yeah. any, anything else you want to say about time cop um speaking of delivering i do want to say like when he's in that hospital chase and he's chasing those villains van damme doesn't just go out a window he leaps he out does. of that window he <laughs> jumps through the window like you don't need to do that you could easily just open the window climb out he leaps out the window therefore making it far more dangerous for himself yes but I, that's but that's van damme i loved it that's what you have to do van damme does um, van damme which is kind of the greatest thing about his movies um like i love nowhere to run because of that reason i love sudden death because of that reason i love um well hard target is more woo but there are definitely some just like him doing things the the van damme way because he's goddamn van damme <laughs> yeah yeah uh i mean you want to talk about dumb fun uh um in his career when he he uh when he does double team oh my gosh that movie is just dumb, dumb i needed dumb, to watch that because that's with rodney um oh that's dennis rodman dennis rodman the, the um and, basketball, yeah, the basketball yeah. player and mickey rourke just again just showing you how to play a movie villain. Mm. Just, there's a tiger at the end. It's, I mean, that movie is the dumbest and just a blast. So much fun. Though it starts to, it's where you start to really see um, Van Damme stunt double a lot. I feel like you, there's, as you go forward, I think maximum risk too. You mm. you start to see, you, it's, you can play a game and you can start seeing like, where's the stunt double? Where's Jean-Claude Van Damme? Uh, it's not like earlier in his movies. like When in, he was doing most Lion, of it, yeah. In Lionheart where he's doing the choreography and he's mm. the action choreography and the fight choreography where he's definitely participating in those fights. He's still going to have a stunt double at times, mm. but uh, he's doing way more of it. And, and in that one, he's doing... Like, I think there's a scene where he jumps up uh, and kind of does it. It's not quite the splits, but almost the splits in a doorway. Mm. And it's like 
you're like, that's not Van Damme. <laughs> and then they cut to his face and double team. It's like, oh, well, okay, you can mash that together and make it seem like it's that. But because um, you can do the splits, but not if it's going to be that difficult. And I think his days of doing the splits, like in Time Cop, he was like, I get paid a lot of money. I don't have to do that stuff quite so hard anymore. Yes. I don't have to make the difficult feat of a of a split. Unless I'm doing a what commercial he did a few years ago when he had to like do the splits in between two moving trucks or whatever it was. Exactly. That's when yeah. he was like, okay, they're paying me to do this. I, I will, I will, um, I will do this. But uh, no, I mean, even something like um, Double Impact, it's fun to see. Okay, so which twin is Van Damme and which twin is a stunt double? kind of mm-hmm. game yeah, um, they had to have the stun double they had because he's fighting himself the... yeah it's like uh, yeah it's yeah. like the jet lee fighting in the one even though i think that one's done way better than the one in double um the double for impact sure. For sure. um but that's another incredibly dumb movie oh, that's so one. fun is the but, so i almost picked that one for a trailer too Jet Li, uh, not Jet Li, um jason statham should not have hair or an american accent and nope. <laughs> the one proves I it think that- I think it's the one movie he does an American accent and everyone was just like, just don't. It's okay. Don't, just, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You You're don't British. need to be. You're, You're British. British. Just be British. Yeah, we don't need it. And we don't even need to explain it. We yeah. Who cares? Nobody Arnie cares. had a whole career of him being very American and never had to explain his um, Austrian right. accent. I, ever. <laughs> so ever. <laughs> and it's amazing that in, all, in almost all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, they always explain why he has an accent. Oh my almost god! Always. Almost always, especially in Double Impact, was when I was laughing because there's two. They're, they're twins separated at birth, but they mm-hmm. had to explain why both of them had a Belgian French accent. It's because he was either living with the Belgian French nuns, and I cannot remember the other one. But it's he was he went with Jeffrey Lewis, and he raised him in France. Oh yes, it's um, it's. I just remember watching that and giggling my ass off because I'm like, you yeah. don't need to really explain why he has an accent he's and in kickboxer they don't bother yeah he has a brother i think actually they grew up separately but they're brothers yeah i think they maybe explain it to a degree but his brother is like got an american accent not at all french at all yeah he has got this crazy you know belgian accent but yeah the most of the time they tried to explain away why he has this accent and arnold never you never had to do it i mean why does he talk like that when he's a robot He's no, a side, he's a robot. He's, why does he have a German accent? Yeah, I mean, even in, I mean, my favorite one is True Lies and Jingle All the Way, where he's meant to be ultimate family, American family man, but he's so goddamn Austrian, it hurts. And yeah. just never explained. It's just him. <laughs> well, he was governor of California, can never say the name of the state right. Exactly. He always put it into four different words. <laughs> California or something? It's it's, California. Yeah, California. Um, California. And he like, was governor for like... He was like governor for a while, wasn't he? Like ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite that long, but two yeah. terms. He two, yeah. finished out a term because I think they kicked out Gray Davis. I was not living in the state at the time, so. Yeah. Uh, but it was yeah. So I think he took over because they did a runoff election. Ah. To yeah. take over a term, mm. and that's when they had like fifty people. I come do out remember of the that election. It, like yeah, everyone. Just, yeah. complete clown show yeah. and like Arnold Schwarzenegger was probably the one of the more sane choices of all the crazy people that were running <laughs> no. but then he did win another term after yeah. you know after that because I guess he you know he didn't shit the bed so they're like we'll give you one more shot mm. um but yeah uh yeah but yeah they never explained his accent and he he really needs you know it should be explained and he's been in this country forever and has never know? that accent has never um, probably for Van Damme. I don't think his accent softened either, but, no. um, yeah, those guys 
accents did not soften. They are still, they speak English because they've lived here for so long. Um, really great English, but it's just like, you're, is it because you're, is it because his accent is his trademark? So he's made sure he's kept it or is it just, just never went away? Yeah, it just didn't go away. Mm. I don't, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he is like, you know, he really, uh, is like i'm an american like that's his mm. thing like yeah. i'm i'm grateful to be in from austria but like america's the country i love and i love to live here and this is where i love to be and like yet his accent is is feels like just as thick as it was back in conan days yes, you know? when he can barely what... when he couldn't really speak english as well <laughs> yeah when we could barely understand him and i feel like our ears just adjusted but he did not bother to work out his accent at all and I, and it's funny in in um double impact because i feel like to start with that movie with the one the badass yeah damn character he feels like he's trying to talk a little bit more like this like why yeah. don't you just you know he's trying to kind of sound american-esque a little bit and but it he doesn't just gives up he just yeah. gives up he just can't do it so he just stops yeah i mean in the 90s Van Damme had all the charisma, but I think it's when he got older where he started to get more of his range, especially if you watch Jay's, uh, like the ones I've seen of his later ones. I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen you soften. I've seen you kind of let go a little bit. But in the 90s, he was so controlled that I don't think he was able to give, um, though he does actually have moments in Sudden Death when he's actually playing like, oh, this is a father who does care about his kids. Right. Um, but generally the range was, I'm awesome, therefore I will kick everyone's ass in the room kind of range, which, you know what, I'm fine with. Um, but when he's trying to do double impact and he's trying to play two people, it's like, mm, you're the same person. Sorry, I can't I can't differentiate between the two of you. Double impact, he has, he has a scene where he's drinking himself into oblivion and imagining his brother, his twin brother, having sex with his girlfriend. Yes! And that's how they squeeze a sex scene into that movie. Yes, I forgot about and that part. Holy it's shit. only his own del drunken delusions for no good reason. He's just upset that she might find his twin brother attractive as well. It's just ludicrous. But essentially it's him imagining himself having sex with his girlfriend and getting upset about it. It's like Hector seeing the other dude in the house going, that's right. not me. It's like, insane. That's not me. I gotta kill that dude. I gotta kill it's that so dude. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, oh, time travel. I mean, this has been an amazing double because I think it just kind of shows you they do have very similar plots in terms of just basic, I need to get back to my wife um yes. kind of plot yeah. but the way they do it is insane and the kind of what side they're on i mean i loved how time crimes you're essentially in the point of view of the bad guy um and but yeah. in time cop you're in the seat of the good guy who's gonna no matter what mm -hmm. he does no matter what he changes it's all gonna be good because it's good for him um and yep. you want that um so yeah this was an amazing amazing double thank you yeah i'm so glad you agreed to this one i uh i love it i love time travel I love Jean-Claude Van Damme. I love Time Crimes. Uh, I do think it's great. I do think, I like how they both leave you with almost the same kind of ending, but you have two different feelings. Yes. I think that that's really fascinating. Mm. Um, to your point, you 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 are on a hero's journey both times, but mm. one of them is, is he a hero by the mm. end? Yeah. You know? Um, in the second one, it's just total wish fulfillment with Time Cop. You yes. Know? And it is sort of with time crimes, but it really deals more with like the reality of what does that really mean? Even though it mm. doesn't 
go deep into it. It yeah. just sort of like leaves you with that ending note. Um, is this over? Does this continue? D- did did everything work out for him? As we were both not convinced that that it did. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's much deeper than I thought it would. <laughs> Me too, actually. I knew when I was sort of watching, I was like, oh, this is doing something interesting. I didn't realize. And then talking about it, I'm like going, oh, that movie's deep. It's got like a lot going on and a lot that's not being said that you can't help thinking about now. Um, so no, this was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on that double. Now I cannot wait till we do our Dolph Lundgren so I can completely geek out about my Dolph. Um, oh, I, and- uh, yeah, I can't wait for that too. Cause I'm trying to go through, I was trying to go through a lot of my, uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies I haven't seen. Mm. And I have also been trying to go through at the same time, trying to go through some of the Dolphs I haven't seen, especially from the nineties. Mm. Cause they were, they were really running similar tracks, but it wasn't quite as successful but Van Damme's got some real, he's got some real jewels from that time, from the 90s. Yeah, I love you Silent know. Trigger and Joshua Tree. Oh, was Joshua Tree in the 90s? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, that was a good I, movie. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. I, d- I did just recently see Silent Trigger. Yeah. And that one w- is great. Yeah. Really, really fun. I also saw Cover Up. Oh, I haven't seen that one. And that is a film. Yeah. That also has Louis Gossett Jr. in it. But um, them reteaming right after Punisher. Oh, fascinating. So like them reteaming, but it is okay. Mm, yeah. Not, not great. Not yeah, that's great. the thing about some of his, Dolph either chose the amazing movies, like say uh, Showdown, uh, Big Showdown Little Tokyo. Oh, totally. Yeah. Or he would do something a little bit kind of like, oh, okay. That didn't quite work. I Speaking of the similar. Yeah. yeah. What's similar about them? I'm sorry to cut you off. Mm. What's similar about them? And we'll wait till next time to really delve into it. But I think that they sometimes, and certainly Dolph more often, I think they get sometimes underserved by the material that they're given. Yes. There's a preconception. I would, yeah. I would and will argue that I think Dolph Lundgren's a better actor. I would absolutely argue that. Yeah. And I think he just didn't get as good of material as Jean-Claude Van Damme. Now, as, you, as we've talked about, Van Damme also has physical things he can do mm. that he knew be, would become his signatures. He knew the splits were going to be his thing. He, he did that in No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah. That was his thing from the very beginning. He knew that was his thing. And that's not something that, that Lundgren really had going for him. No, because Lundgren was just a really amazingly good-looking Norse god genius he was not he was not trained in um like uh he was kind of more like the arnold schwarzenegger and the sylvester stallone as then they weren't classically trained martial artists or fighters um they had Mm -hmm. to learn to become that when they became movie stars um where there's claude van damme seagal um probably forgetting a whole bunch of other people during this time um uh even wesley snipes he was the trained martial artist I, want to I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Those guys actually knew how to do the moves. Um, so that's a very, very different thing. And you've got Lundgren, who his first role, he couldn't speak English. I mean, they just looked at him and went, you're here, man. You're very good looking. Um, and put him in a movie. Be- and then, I mean, the guys lived a hell of a life. You mean in a, view to, a view to a kill? Yes. A view to a kill. Was he? Yes. Oh yeah, shit! I forgot that he was in that movie as well. Yes, it's where he met yeah. Grace Jones. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. I think dating Grace Jones at the time and yes. was around, and they just threw him in the movie and just because he was him just a character because he 
was just an incredibly handsome, tall looking European guy. And they were like, yeah, yeah you're perfect. Can we throw you in? Exactly. But I think because of that, he was so just impossibly good looking that I think you're right. I think he got underserved. I think um, Van Damme as well, but I think for slightly different, it could have been, mm, no, because Arnold Schwarzenegger had the accent and he, well, because he was the king. So I don't know exactly. Well, he, had, he got Terminator under his belt and then just knew how to pick um pick roles i yeah, think yeah conan as well before that yeah so he, he'd had i always forget know, about conan yeah yeah because i think conan is like 82 and yeah terminator's 84 so he, i mean you had two massive hits in a row too, and he so. and i think he was maybe a little smarter and kennier about choosing projects i mean they all didn't work but i think he no, very no, was yeah. much more aware of his brand and image um, and what movies would serve that best, regardless of what Van Damme and Dolph would choose or what they were offered. So, no, it's a fascinating yeah. comparison when you're looking at these guys. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think that there isn't something so definable about Dolph Lundgren when you look at him and you're like, oh, he's the guy who does this thing. Yeah. There isn't like a bite size because he's a deeper guy than that. Yeah. And he's capable of a lot more things. But um, I was I was going to mention, too, Red Scorpions, not quite the 90s, but really really great movie as well that is a he, fun movie up, yeah that's I like, a fun I like, one. yeah so, i can't wait till we get back to dolph dolph is, we'll dolph is, dolph is gonna dolph. be amazing i love dolph great. as well um he's he's my action boy um i've decided that took me a while but I went yeah it's, it's it's dolph um before we go please tell people where they can where they can find your good work okay well you can find the new world pictures podcast uh wherever you listen to podcasts you can find us there you can also find us on twitter we're on instagram i think on uh, twitter we are the new world pod i can't remember we are on instagram because i don't run that one Mm. um forget but it's somewhere it's something similar to that so um but you can find us there you can find us on facebook if you want to follow us there but um but yeah you can just listen to us wherever you uh, listen to podcasts the new world pictures podcast no, and it's absolutely great. I would definitely give it a listen because it is an amazing, amazing podcast. And I love the fact that you're actually getting the creators on your show. Um, it's, it's kind of blowing our minds, but it's been great. And we've just had such a great time with people so far. Yeah, It is, you know, we we started a little bit a couple of years ago, see, you know, occasionally. And now it's, it's, it's become this sort of windfall. And we're just getting a lot of people um that are saying yes and it's it's been tremendous so it's really been cool to be able to talk to these people yeah and it's not like you're not honest about the movies because i know you really didn't like cockfighter because it's a hard movie to to watch but at the same time when you do mock them it's out of love for the movie and for the studio that made it so you're not sort of just like ripping it to shreds because you're ripping it to shreds you're like no i love this movie but they made some choices and these choices (laughs) either make it better or they make it more confusing So I will say, I think I liked Cockfighter the most. Mm. Uh, my co-hosts, uh, Mark and Erica, did not like it. I think they, the Chow Factory just released a Blu-ray of Cockfighter, and I ordered it right away. Mm. Like, it's, it, Monty Hellman is terrific. It's... I love him. Like, it's just, my thing was like, I wish we'd had a different Monty Hellman movie. In fact, we may eventually dress this some, at some point, but why New World didn't do Tulane Blacktop, and I think I might, might have mentioned this in, the, in that episode, why they didn't do that, I don't know. Um, that seems like a perfect, you know, counterculture cars mm. driving around. That would have seemed perfect and right up the alley of uh, uh, of New World Pictures, particularly mm. in the 70s. Yeah. But somehow they got Cockfighter instead, which I understand. I recently watched uh, The Last Woman on Earth, which is a Roger Corman movie, which uh, he shot, I think, um, he shot three movies, I think, in like Puerto Rico. And, um, and that one starts with Cockfights in it. 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah, didn't wasn't like Coleman on like a weird cockfight kick. Like he kind of. I don't know if Hellman chose to do that project, but he goes, I want to make a movie about cockfighting. And then what Monty Hellman made was about a guy who decided not to speak, but speak through his chicken. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Um, yeah, he doesn't want to, he, he, he vows, he does a vow of silence until he wins cockfighter of the year again. Mm. And then you- I think what, especially my co-host in love is that by once he, gets to that goal what kind of a person is he at this point but i kind of think that that's maybe the point yeah that's the thing about monty hellman is that he's he's not giving you like easy answers or even oftentimes answers like what kind of answer is he giving you on two lane blacktop i don't know but it's an amazing film it is an amazing film because apparently people just are the way they are i think is often what he kind of says yeah and because i know that corman hated the movie like usually he would give or did he yeah it was no no he he tried to recut it several times. He, yeah. You know, he retitled it several times and tried to like put it out under different, I forget some of the titles he had, but he was just trying to like, I think it was like Born to Kill or some some dumb thing like that. Like he was trying to make it look like action films. He even had like, um, what is it? Uh, Joe Dante and mm. Arkish probably at the time were like his trailer editors and had them take like car crash sequences from some of his other, you know, car racing movies and put them together in a, in a trailer to repackage cockfighter. But it, he just miscalculated that, you know, he thought in the South, that's where they do these cockfights and everybody loves it. And I'll just tour it around the South and everybody go bananas. But mm. he didn't realize that people were embarrassed by that. They didn't like the fact they don't like to, they don't want to like show every, yeah, we love cockfighting. Like it was like a thing that they were kind of ashamed of. So well, yeah, it just it, did not it, play. It is a brutal thing. I mean, you're getting animals to fight to the death. Oh, yeah. Essentially. It's like dog fighting, but with chickens. Um, and and Monty Hellman wouldn't shoot that. And they yeah. actually had, um, I think, Louis Teague went around, I think, Arizona and went to some cockfights and shot actual cockfighting yeah. footage. And then they inserted that in the movie because there weren't any cockfights. And Corman was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. He was like, I don't want to, I don't want to shoot that stuff. Mm. And he was like, well, we got to have it. So yeah, it's um, and Monty Hellman's such an esoteric kind of director that he is going to have this kind of movie. And I know Corman mm-hmm. was famous of like, if you have these three things, you can do whatever else you want. I don't care because I want to get bums on seats, not necessarily the reaction to the movie. And then he saw this and went, oh, this movie's going to make no money. <laughs> yeah, you can tell right from the beginning that like Monty Hellman just was trying to make a different kind of movie than what Roger Corman would do. Even when he did Beast from Haunted Cave, yeah, which is like a you know 1950s creature feature, and he was that he was shooting at the same time he was do, doing Ski Troop Attack, yeah, and 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 it. But there's a scene between two characters that I think are like not even the main characters, and it's a, a man and a woman, and they like mean and they just start talking and shooting the shit, sharing sharing a cigarette and talking about the things that they are interested in, and they start to like kind of fall for one another. And it's unnecessary to the rest of the movie. It doesn't mm. matter because eventually we're going to find this creature and people are going to start dying and who cares? Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's not like we end the movie by them going like, you know what? I like you and we made it and I love mm. you. They're not even the main characters. No. But it was like obvious that like Hellman was like interested more in like human beings and their interactions. And this other stuff was just, I don't know, just a way to make the movie. You yeah. Know? So. Which yeah, kind of makes was- him a fascinating Coleman guy. Um, For sure because all the other his other great ones kind of knew what to give him and he was just like no i don't want to do that i want to do this and coleman's pulling his hair out going can you just shoot the cockfights <laughs> <laughs> yeah can I you mean, just shoot the monster 
yeah. he kept going back to him. I mean, he he produced two westerns that he shot, mm. um, which are terrific. Ride the Whirlwind, which is oh, Jack that's Nicholson amazing. Wrote. Yeah, um, and uh, the shooting, I believe, mm. is the other one, which I also really like. Which again is Warren Oates, but again, it was like go shoot two movies, mm. make two. So they went went out and went out and you know uh, shot a couple of movies and came back. And I I love both of them. They're fascinating. Mm. And I think Corman was probably only happy with them that they made two for the price of one, essentially. Yeah. But they barely even got released in the States. They went over to Europe and they got put on TV or something. Mm. And that's how he made... Corman would make his money. Oh, yeah. He's going to make his money. Corman always knew how to make his money, which kind of makes the legacy of what uh, the people who bought New World Pictures so fascinating because they've kind of taken this heritage of what Corman built and then we're trying to do, actually, I don't know if they were trying to do the same thing, but it's sort of fascinating the movies they put out after um, they bought it. It's it's a truly fascinating. And that's why your show is so fascinating, because it's like, oh, oh, really? So they made Avalanche. Well, of course, because it was 1980 and disaster movies were popular, but it's just interesting to sort of see how the studio yeah. turned from Corman to something else. One thing you could say about Corman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing you could say about Corman is I think he had terrific instincts. He yes. knew good people. And he knew like trends and yeah. he did his best to always capitalize on it. And you can, you can argue with some of the results and you can argue with some of the things that he did. Um, but he also paid people. He didn't pay them well, but he did pay them. Yes. Um, but he was, that... he was always pretty, uh, you know, out in the open about I'm, I'm using you and I'm paying oh. you nothing. Yes. But if you do well, then you will move on and you won't ever have to worry. Well, about, uh, but I'm giving you an opportunity you may not have gotten. I'm paying you an experience. Um, exactly. But it, it, unfortunately, what he, who we gave experience to would go on to do other things because everyone says, if you work for Corman, if you did well for me, do what I say, make it the movie and the budget I want, you will never have to work for me again. So yeah, he was very upfront of, I know yeah. you're not going to stay working for me because I will pay you nothing, but then you will go on to make The Godfather so it will be fine. Or, yeah. Well, or, that's, um, and famously Reggie what Bill. he said to, uh, you said to Ron Howard because yeah. Ron Howard wanted him to give him more money so he could have an audience for one of the scenes where he had a bunch of people in the crowd watching this yeah. race. And he was like, I need more people. And he's like, nope, mm. I won't give it to you. But if you do well with this movie, you'll never have to work for me again. Mm. So he kind of famously said that. But to going back to your point about what they were doing once they sold it from Corman, mm. I, I actually got to talk. I actually got to ask Tony Randall because he'd worked for both eras. Yeah. So he 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 worked for Corman and stayed with Corman. Actually, left when Corman sold New World Pictures. Stayed yeah. with him, and then New World called Tony Tony Randall, the new New World Pictures. Yeah. Called him and said, "Come back and be our head of post production," and they paid. They gave him money that. He, he told us like Roger was like, yeah, go. Cause he wasn't going to pay him that. Yeah. So he went and took the paycheck. And so I, I got to ask him, cause this has been something that I've been wondering as we've mm. been doing this podcast, what were they trying to do in the second era of mm. new world pictures? Cause it just feels like they are just throwing, throwing ideas at the yeah. wall and have no, and, and you say what you will about Roger Corman. Like he knew, okay, we're going to make, these kinds of movies. Yes. Um, we're going to keep making these nurses movies because we know we just have three different women and they have different things going on and we'll make these sci-fi movies and we'll rip off alien and we'll rip off star Wars. Mm. Like he knew what he was doing. And the second era just feels like we don't know what we're doing. So we're just going to just try everything yeah. and see if anything works. And by the time they get Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, they're already falling apart. So I asked Tony Randall, I said, did they have any idea? And he was like, nope. <laughs> no clue. 
like, they, they were just literally throwing things at the wall and see what stuck. They literally had no idea the kinds of movies they wanted to make. Mm. They had no plan. When they bought New World Pictures, they only bought it because they uh, they it was a big name. It was mm. one of the it was like the leading independent film distribution company at the time. Um, you could argue Canon took over pretty well for New World Pictures mm. in the 80s. But at the time he sold it in 83, mm. I want to say, or 82, he was, they were like a huge name and they literally just bought the name. Yeah. And they bought the name and his contacts with distributors. He even kept all his old catalog. That's Corman the thing. Yeah. That was a dumb move. Like, in a smart move for um, Corman because he still kept his old movies and could store many of them. Brilliant. Dumb for the people who bought New World because they've lost that branding and that use and that kind of back catalog, which they could have just made a whole ton of money off. Yeah, because he eventually did. Because he owned the uh, the rights, he makes Big Bad Mama too, but he's already well away from New World yeah. at that point. But he makes it on his own because he still owns the rights to Big Bad Mama. Mm. You know, he makes sequels to other films or remakes of other films because he has the rights. So he can capitalize on his old success and New mm. World can't. It was <laughs> genius. But at the time, I don't think New World Video was was really even a thing. Eventually it becomes a thing. Yeah. And New World Video puts out tons and tons of titles. Mm. But I don't think they knew that or were. That was such a, that was a, a burgeoning thing at the time that the new guys came in to buy New World Pictures. They didn't, they didn't probably foresee that yeah. you would need them. Um, just like, you know, at the time when Roger Corman would make movies with pieces of other movies, <laughs> yes. he, would, he would like buy like a Russian movie and then be like, well, let's keep all the good stuff and we'll shoot five other scenes and we'll just mash it together. Mm. Because at the time, people didn't have home video. No, this uh, stuff wasn't you know, being he, saved. <laughs> he, can, he could take scenes from one movie and put it in another movie because who the hell knew? Wasn't he know? the one that changed like um, student nurses? Like six times like you would just rename it and then put it into a different market i remember not, he may have yeah well he did that with so many movies yeah i'm not sure about that particular title but he would change titles constantly mm. and keep putting stuff out under new titles mm. particularly if they didn't work i think he 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 put out uh like i said cockfighter he oh put yeah out like yeah mm. three different times under different titles to just try to see if he can make money because they also didn't just it didn't distribute like they do now, like where yeah. it's like, here's the date. He had dates for like certain cities. Well, yeah, because the reel like, had to travel around the country because you couldn't just like send uh, 50 reels out to your market. You had to tour it around. So Correct. Yeah. Correct. And he would always try to keep things and he would famously cut some movies down because he was always trying to cut things down to a certain point because if you had things a little longer, you'd have to get five reels instead of four reels. Yes. So it's cheaper to only have four reels. So he'd always trim people's movies down so you'd have less to travel and he only wanted to buy one or 200 prints and then he'd move those around the country mm. and hopefully he would have enough word of mouth to kind of hit all the major markets mm. and make some money and come back but uh if it didn't do well the first round he would retitle it and send it back out and try to put it on a double bill with something else and oh my god know. the consummate yeah. businessman he yeah. seriously Com yeah um yeah it's it's a he's he was a uh a a self-professed liberal and yet a complete capitalist he's, oh my he's God. a fascinating dude he is absolutely fascinating because i love the one movie he made that was his political points of view was the intruder which mm -hmm. is an amazing sure. movie it has william shatner william shatner yeah. um they almost got run out of town at one point so we weren't telling anyone what exactly it was and made no money and he goes well that doesn't work i'm just gonna make movies that make money <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and and funny enough, when he was making movies for AIP, like they would cut his movies up. I think yeah. when the time he makes Gas, which has so many S's, <laughs> which was supposed to be this big counterculture comedy film, it's awful if you mm. haven't seen it. Um, but he got pissed off because AIP like trimmed it out and didn't know what it was, and he was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make my own movies. I, mm. I'm gonna start my own company and not have to make movies for other people." And then he subsequently started chopping down. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of the kind, kind of the history of Hollywood studios. It's just we'll, we <laughs> we will cut your movie whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, he kind of said, "Fuck you guys, I'm gonna set up my own thing," but not like I hate what you're doing and I will never repeat what you do. Oh, I'm no. gonna do the same thing, but I'm gonna do it on my terms. And exactly. Make money off of it. I'm I'm the one who's going to yeah. be in control of it, not you. Um, yeah, like like when he started working for a producer back in the day, early days of Fox, he made some like he was supposed to just like read scripts and give notes, mm. and he eventually re- wrote put a bunch of notes and was like, yeah, I think you should do this or that. Gave it to the producer, and the producer was like, yeah, these are great. Made all these changes. Said go out make the changes, but he never got any credit for it. So he was like, oh well, I got to go get another job because I can't work for this guy and get no credit. That's mm. worthless. Yes. So- <laughs> So he knew right away, like, I got to go where I get credit and I make money. Yes. Because otherwise, what is the point? All the money. Otherwise, (laughs) what's the point? Absolutely. Um, it is always a blast talking to you, babe, because I always learn something new about Corman, and it's amazing. And the doubles you pick are extraordinary. So I cannot oh, wait to do. Thank you so much, Dolph. Um, thank you so much for having me back. This oh, is a no. blast. This is my third time. I yeah. love coming on your show, talking movies with you. It's, it's the tremendous. best. Thank you it so is, much for for having me. It's it is so absolutely. Fun. Oh, it is absolutely the best, and I cannot wait to have you back on again. Um, oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. Can't wait uh, to have you on our show. It's yay! Really fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I get to meet Erica and Mark. Um, I'm gonna be so. <laughs> Um, yeah, if you want to follow, I've already said we that can find you. So it will be if you want to follow Schlock and All, Schlock and All One, Instagram, Twitter, Reading Geek for um, Twitter as well for me, with my pers- personal account, which I spend too much time on. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I cannot wait to do it again because I'm going to really get you. I'm going to geek out about Dolph Lundgren. Um, yeah, I can't wait. That's it's going to be, be awesome. And then when we go and I go eventually go on your show, it's going to be awesome because poor Mark is going to have to talk about this movie. Um, <laughs> you sure will. Oh, um, yeah, so thank you so much for listening and we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.